The football pod on OTB Sports. I think they'll have too much. I didn't hear a word you said in the last 45 seconds. What? Breaking news here on the football pod. The football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, very welcome. You are very, very welcome. It is a big show this morning because we get to pick over the carcass of Manchester United one more time. But also we get to celebrate one of the great performances from Liverpool, a signature performance as they absolutely annihilated Manchester United last night. If you have a view, if you're a Man United fan, if you're a Liverpool fan, if you're a Manchester City fan who's quietly purring in the corner going, well, we're going to win the league anyway. And Erling Haaland has basically made it official that he's coming to us. Uh, then we'd also like to hear from you. So Owen is here. Owen. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good. One of those stories out of all those three elements is significantly more interesting than the other two. Haaland. Oh, yeah. yeah, let's go with Haaland. Yeah, Haaland's definitely the most... It's, Manchester United is... is like I, 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 I understand why Liverpool fans watching the coverage last night would have been a, a little bit frustrated that there was a lot of focus on Manchester United, but they are, by a distance, the most interesting story in the Premier League right but now. But what if that was like the greatest Liverpool... This, this is the greatest week in Liverpool history. It could be, right? This could be the hinge point for them to win a quadruple where they beat City in the Cup and they hammer Man United and it's like they, they cascade from here on to being the greatest Liverpool team of all time. That's, that's in the mix over the next eight weeks. Doesn't matter. Not as interesting as the Manchester United. Like the, the Manchester United saga, if it was being written right now, they would have got a, re- a redemptive arc at some point six months ago. Surely, twelve months ago, this it is did. this has gone beyond. Got a new oh deal. yeah, that was that was very redemptive. Sorry, if if if, if you are correct, which you may well be, we have Colin Bowie. In, like uh, we we cut live now to the bleeding <laughs> heart of Manchester United. Death by a thousand cuts. Are you bleeding out? That's the worst. I said to you both this morning when I came in. Out of the nine years of just awfulness, that was the Nadir. Because, like, uh, like, Ger- was, like was, Jeremy was, was saying to me, what about the 5-0 at the start of the season? I was like, yeah, but there was kind of a naivety about that performance. It was like, oh, well, we can definitely beat them. We'll try. And at nil-nil, Bruno Fernandes had a great chance at Old Trafford and he blazed it over the bar. And then madness ensued. But last night, it was like a mid-to-lower level Premier League club turning up at Anfield waiting for their lass and the players were just walking around. You're, you're deluded that the, the Bruno Fernandes chance would have had any One nil up. That's like, that's like the Connacht fans saying if Cardi got that kick. Hold on, we're not talking about winning the match. Weekend. We're talking about the worst moment in the last nine years. It would have been 5-1. After that Bruno chance, yeah. I mean, that was car crash because even in that game Salah made it 4-0 just before half time and then Jamie Carragher in commentary kind of made a sympathetic involuntary groan being like oh this is, this is getting awkward now I have, I have no more superlatives to talk about how great Liverpool are and how terrible United are but last night it was just gradual for the whole match like 2-0 in each half slightly better in the third quarter of the match like the first half of the second half a bit better but only because Liverpool dropped off slightly but you know one of my complaints in the last six months as a Manchester United fan is Bruno Fernandes as brilliant as he is and he's been by far United's best player over the last two years since he joined in January 2020, you have Cristiano Ronaldo's goals and David De Gea's saves since he returned to form. But overall, Fernandes has been United's best player. But what really annoys me about Fernandes is his gesticulation and complaining to other teammates. Even he gave up on that last night. He was walking around. It's, I think it's, it's the, the low point in nine years of, of a terrible time at the club. But also, it, maybe in some form of hope, that it was the end of the current era last night because after the match, Ralph Ragnick was talking about Manchester United as if he was a pundit and not their manager. 
and did not hold back in his quotes. He called it embarrassing. He said it's disappointing, maybe even humiliating. We have to accept they, Liverpool, are six years ahead of us now. And that was just one of the quotes that he gave to every outlet he spoke with last night. Bruno Fernandes came out, talked to Sky Sports. And, uh, you know, if you read between the lines, what he was actually saying was, you know, totally agreeing with Ragnick, trying in some way to say, you know, we'll go to the next game, we'll go to Arsenal at the weekend, we'll keep our heads up. But they all know that this squad, this current United team is spent. It's done. And if you were able to take a year or two out as a football club, if that was possible to go on a gap year, you'd nearly suggest it for United. But they're going to have to keep going and they'll have to seriously rebuild this nearly from scratch. And it's going to be a few years of hurt. But if they go along the right way, they get the right man in already, and they back already him. Already talking about his recovery. Know. Look, it's like, but there's there's hope coming over the horizon. It, I mean, well, what, well, what are you supposed to do? Like, if look, there's, if there's not hope over. coming this is, on the this horizon, is what, this is what the rest of football is like, Colm. When you weren't being weaned on the glory hunting years of your youth, when you weren't like chasing trophy after trophy after trophy, the rest of the world knew what it was like not to be the all-conquering greatest team in the world. And this is what it's like being a football fan. It's sometimes difficult. Your team loses more than they win. Yeah, welcome know, yeah. welcome to reality, Colm. Yeah, and we were... And those uh, of us who, we who aren't United fans have genius. no sympathy and we're kind of enjoying from it. just how kind much of. of a shit show it is. <laughs> it's absolutely... Like, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And six years, it's fair play to him for putting a number on it. But that would suggest that maybe if, like, where Liverpool are now they're two years out when he Premier League titles so. how many managers is that, that like at yeah. current rate that's four more managers I think that what, Liverpool hit the jackpot when they got Jurgen Klopp as well as everything else to uh, start their acceleration to the top of European football like I mean there was nothing overly lucky about it because Klopp was a fantastic manager before that but even they must have been counting their blessings at how unbelievably well this whole thing has worked out Manchester United need to be lucky as well as well organised to have that six year plan work out where they're at Liverpool's level in six years and, and that is having a Premier League title in the bank in six years time a Champions League title in the bank in six years time that's not about like you know contending in six years time that's being at Liverpool's level in six years one of the best teams of all time yeah which is not going to happen like unless maybe Ten Hag is an absolute genius who knows but it might be the manager after Ten Hag who delivers that Finney Perth made the point in conversation with Stephen Doyle and we'll play some of it a little bit later on after the live commentary last night that Liverpool had a new manager in place four days after they sacked Brendan Rodgers and I went back and, and looked they'd been flirting with Klopp for about four months beforehand they'd met him secretly in New York he was in the plaza staying under an assumed name and got to the uh, reception and the woman behind the counter was German and recognised him so he was like I'm here on holidays I'm definitely here to see the sights and visit some museums but Liverpool met him for three hours and were like okay this is the guy we want him uh, Ten Hag has taken however long it has been, ta- been because they gave Solskjaer a contract again when they shouldn't have and they hired Solskjaer in the first place when they shouldn't have perfectly good interim manager if that was going to be your thing and in the meantime they, they passed up Conte uh, they, they passed up Pochettino who would have been available at the time if they wanted him they could have had Ten Hag a year and a half ago but there is no plan that's the problem the problem isn't that the new manager is going to come in and the now the transfer committee of the football brains who appointed Ranick and that, that has been an, an excellent decision. They're the ones who are going to be out there buying the players that Ten Hag wants to inculcate his style of play and bring the club forward. And you have to say, it doesn't make any sense still. It doesn't, like, there isn't, it doesn't feel like there's a, a throbbing genius eye of Sauron football brain that knows everything that there is to know about world football. 
because that's not coming through. Even the young players who are like, you know, let's let's give the young players a game. Very interesting to see Hannibal completely like stolen the possession, just taken off him. Like this is a big game here, buddy. Mm. This is a big game, and uh, Alan get caught in possession a couple of times by Andy Robertson. It's like, yeah, okay, this is the future. It doesn't look that bright, does it? No, I'm like the geniuses are like they're few and far between. Like Owen hitting it there, Liverpool hit the jackpot with Jurgen Klopp, and United are looking for that golden ticket again because they've got two of them in their lifetime. Matt Busby and Alex Ferguson, and they need another one, and it's very, very difficult to come by. So in the meantime, you do have to systemically reboot the whole thing. I'd say they could have got top really, if they wanted to. Though. The manager, it's nothing to do with a manager really. It's just. Like, for the love of God, like, appoint the manager and give him a structure that the manager believes in. And Ragnick said the same himself last night. He said it. That's what you need. You need to bring someone in and the club to bring in the players that actually suits that manager. Like, last night was just ridiculous. I feel very sorry for Phil Jones. Thrown in for the first time since Wolves on the 3rd of January, which United lost, but Jones wasn't actually bad that night. And last night, after 20 minutes, he was, like, blown really heavily. Like, looked absolutely shattered. Because you're playing like this iteration of Liverpool on top form. And I mean, that's difficult for a player who's playing every week. And to throw this guy in after three and a half months away Sorry. and hoping for the best. Eamon says, a billion pounds spent since Ferguson left. And they started back five of Wambasaka, Jones, Maguire, yep. Lindelof and Dalla at Anfield. A yep. billion pounds worth of, uh, that's it. That's it right there. And the cry laughing emoji sideways, which is my favourite one. <laughs> You have to accept, Colm, this is hilarious. No, well, how? Why, why, why would I accept that? Why would I, why would I, laugh, why would I laugh at that? Every, every single element of this is, is no, I mean, the only side-splitting hilarious. Hilarious was that it was like, it was like a League Cup third-round lineup at the end for United. It was just like players just waiting for the final whistle. Do you know those matches where three or four senior players might play because they're out of form or whatever, there's a break in play afterwards and there's no games coming up and then it's surrounded by seven or eight squad players but this was Liverpool and Anfield in the Premier League when United are going for the Champions League and somehow the club have found themselves in this situation like I agree that is actually definitely hilarious for everybody else it's also but the United fans it's like this is that's why I think this is the low and there's been they loads needed, of blows they needed an Arsenal fan TV about four and a half they years have ago. one it's Sky Sports <laughs> like that's, that's what makes this so, so on a level above it is that we're getting we are getting Manchester United fan TV every single week from Roy Keane and Gary Neville and like I said it on Twitter last night Roy Keane didn't have a level to go to he, and he realised that himself so he went for the I'm not even angry I'm sad line that is the only place he had left to go like where does he go yeah that was really from, sad from that, that, that was now. sad to see I'm, I'm not angry I'm sad what's the next point after that I'm not angry I'm not sad what is the next adjective that Roy Keane is going to use to describe his feelings that, that was sad to and see and like, you, you, like it, what's the eighth stage the eighth stage of grief I don't think anybody's ever got there but Manchester United are about to discover new areas of grief. <laughs> <laughs> the new world of sadness as discovered it's by a, It's Roy a postmodern Keane. problem. What, what happens when you go through the seven stages and there's an eight stage and everybody's like, it's a leap of faith into the unknown. Look, comes after that. In. So many people are really happy about this. It's terrible to see. Owen, do Which you is, have uh, any ways that United can be hopeful? Yeah, well, it's funny you should say that. Uh, Anyways. So, you know, uh, watching the game from a Manchester United perspective yesterday, just r- trying to find positive things that happened last night for Manchester United thing. Like I finished up with a list of 12 things it's, it's a lot longer than 12 apostles think. 12 apostles so number one is the first four and a half minutes of complete control no chances conceded Bruno Fernandes makes Alisson rush into a couple of passes life is good five minutes in David De Gea doesn't get decapitated by Trent Alexander-Arnold smashing the ball into the back of the net after Liverpool have just opened the scoring the third one 
uh, after about nine and a half minutes. It's a great tribute by Ralph Ranić to take Paul Pogba off at this exact moment to mark the fact that he has been a consistent 9.5 during his glittering Manchester United career. Number four, 21 minutes in, Manchester United are only 1-0 down. Number five, 38 minutes, Rashford gets in behind. It's a heavy touch. It doesn't matter. He got in behind him. That's how you beat him. Liverpool's high line exposed is fraudulent once again. Number six, uh, Bruno overhits an indirect free kick, but Alisson has to gather it. No one will know the difference if we stick that one down as a shot and target. And number seven, after 65 minutes, Jurgen Klopp looks momentarily bemused. Uh, on the 70th minute, number eight, a stat appears on the bottom of the screen. Second half so far, Manchester United have two shots, Liverpool's one. Manchester United have five opposition box touches compared to Liverpool's three. Number nine, the 84th minute, the best hair on show is still up for grabs. Manchester United clinch it by sending Hannibal Medjbury onto the pitch. Number 10, Medjbury makes Henderson angry. He is now trending on Twitter. 11, Roy Keane says he isn't angry. That is very, very good news. And number 12, Bruno Fernandes apologises. So everything is absolutely fine. (laughs) Yeah. You must be happy with that. Yeah, I know. Look, I wasn't in a great mood coming in, but thanks for that. Manchester United are a living, breathing representation of Hagler's famous statement. It's tough to get out of bed to do road work at 5am when you've been sleeping in silk pyjamas. Phenomenal wages, no pressure to win, and a culture based on money, not glory, says James Jackson on Twitter with the hashtag OTBAM. Uh, JC says, Ralph being absolved of any responsibility is a curious one. It's not all his fault. I'm not saying United would have won, but starting with five at the back yesterday was the wrong call. I can see why you did it. If you had five good quality defenders who knew how to play five at the back it might and if they'd done it sometimes during the season and it had been successful then maybe like say what you want about Solskjaer but uh, sometimes his teams could do that his teams could put in a super defensive performance and hit you on the break and get nil all draws or you know get good results against the good teams because he seemed to at least accept that my team is kind of crap that's the one thing that they had with Ragnick at least United weren't conceding goals for a long time but now that's gone it was like two against Norwich, four last night, um, two against Spurs recently. So we had like a one nil one all thing going on for a while, which was, you know, you're not going to become a United fan to support their uh, defensive solidity, but at least he was uh, stopping the, you know, shedding of goals. But now that stopped. And I feel like he's given up and he's on the cusp of going on the most almighty public rant about this club. And he's just holding back because he's in the game long enough and he's professional enough. But he wants to say what well, he really thinks about United. And it's going to be very interesting to see if he has any, any role in that club into the future. Uh, Eamon says, the greatest football team ever and the worst United team ever. What a time to be a Liverpool fan, says uh, Eamon, uh, who's left a comment in the YouTube stream. Comco says, the saddest part of the United loss is that they glamorised a young player coming on and giving away the ball and giving away fouls. That's just how bad it was. I didn't see the, too much of the post-match. Were they saying Hannibal at least was... Well, uh, in, 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 in. in the match, Gary Neville was like, I'm actually proud of him. He was proud of him. And like, literally all the guy was doing was giving away a freeze. And he was like, well, at least he's trying. At least he's doing something. What are the rest of them doing? But, and every time he got the ball, he was either giving it away or fouling someone. But like, it was nice to see a fella run around and, and throw in a few tackles. like A bit old school, but... Going to be in the highlights reel for that fourth goal forever. Yeah. Uh, well done Liverpool what annoys me most as a United fan is it's cost United a billion pounds to end up this bad no soul in this team says MOC uh, Jared says I don't know what everybody's complaining about 5 nil in October 4 nil in April that's progress isn't it you know I mean it could have been 7 like that's what it was there for Liverpool if they'd just been at it for the first 15 minutes of the second half yeah, that's the other that's the scary thing about you know. it and Salah could have had a hat-trick at the end like yeah there could have been loads of moments whereas for United the first shot on target was the 55th minute by Jaden Sancho was trickled into Alisson's arms and Rashford had a half decent chance at 2-0 and the ball came over the top but like Rashford was totally awful but I wouldn't hold it against just Rashford they all were 
some more than others, but like this, the confidence is at an all-time low. And it's just the body language. The body language is the most concerning thing for me last night. They, they seem to completely give up as early as the fourth minute, just before Salah squared it to Louise. Well, that, that's, the, that's the fragile confidence and it's gone. So, um, yeah, we will be picking over the carcass with this uh, a little bit later on. Andy Mitten's going to join us. We have uh, David Myler's going to join us 10 past 8. Sports News at 8.40. GA Championship, we're going to preview uh, the football with Tommy in a moment. Uh, Sarah Dunham is going to join us in studio at 10 past 9 to look back at the Cork Hurling weekend to look forward to the Camogie season and then uh, we'll play out with the Koi Gig Pod at half 9 this morning but at 7.47 a reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day the um, the Manchester United fans they walk amongst us they they live and breathe amongst us Tommy Rooney how's the air you breathing? Ooh. I didn't think we'd be talking Manchester United this morning lads no, I wouldn't have came on uh, how are you Tommy are you okay son? Uh, I, I didn't like the little dig at Hannibal there. Well, I actually thought that Hannibal came on last night and actually showed. He's one of the 12 ha- puzzles. Oh, they he were was, disgraceful. He was great giving the ball away for the for the fourth goal, wasn't he? Superb. Okay, you, did, you did just admit that you didn't see it. He actually had a bit of bite about him. He left a bit on Henderson. I didn't see the post-match. Uh, I saw the game. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, you saw the actual... You saw the, the last he left a bit on Henderson. I, I think that was a good seat. But like if we, did, and, uh, and how well did he do for the fourth goal, Tommy? Yeah, well, he messed up there, but he's only a kid, right? Well, it's Man United. It's my, uh, like it's I Manchester was, uh, United. You can't say he's only a kid. It's Manchester United. I've been in WhatsApp groups with Liverpool fans for a couple of years, and you know, for the first say eight or seven or eight years ago, when Rodgers was in charge, they were very loud. They were annoying. Both teams weren't great, so you kind of just. You might engage a bit. Then over the last couple of years, the Liverpool fans kind of went quiet as, you know, they got close to winning. And they won. They were allowed to enjoy their win. Last night, a lot of Liverpool fans, you know, they tried to engage in a bit of crack, a bit of fun. You were having none. I don't think any, I don't think any Manchester United fan was having it. Like, it was like, oh yeah, what do you, what do you think it's going to be? 5 nil, 6 nil? Like, there was no way, no other way that game was going. And I think what Fernandez said after the game summed it all up. And it's shocking. He said, Liverpool... Liverpool had something to fight for and we had nothing to fight for. How can you be a professional footballer and say that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Was it lost in translation? No, that's the, that so. stuck out to me as well, Tommy. That was definitely a sort of... Did yeah. he say Did he say the silent bit out loud there, Bruno Fernandes? Maybe yeah, maybe that was it. to fight for. Like, exactly. But and exactly. it's also the biggest game in world football. Never mind that, though. But you're fighting for, for pride to play against Liverpool. Exactly, yeah, 100%. Anyway. Pathetic. I'm delighted for you, Tommy. Nah. <laughs> I don't really care either like you know well you do you see, that's the thing it's, it's not like it's ap- not like it's mead apathy is the eighth stage of grief isn't it it's like we no longer care about this yeah. I never I never loved you anyway that's the post grief isn't it that's it post grief this love that we had and that we shared and that you were like the most important thing in my life forever and ever and ever and ever that I dedicated everything to that I knew everything about that I like studied that I literally spent 100,000 hours of my 120,000 hours of life thinking about mm. never mattered to me in the first place it's, it's just yeah well you see it's, it's the United fans that go to the games that I genuinely feel sorry for um, I waste my time watching them that's the choice I make last night I asked myself okay when is it acceptable to switch this off without telling anyone but I didn't I was like I can't for the lads that are still in the stadium I've got to leave this game on <laughs> so I sat watching it mark of respect mm. <laughs> Yeah, Manchester United at the stage of grief. They're just like knocking over the tombstone at the stage. It's just like, I want this to be... Unless it's oh. a zombie that which is undead can never die. That's the, the bit that we get to where it's like, 
yeah. I don't know what that is. Anyway, Tommy, there's um, uh, important <laughs> matters in, in, in uh, you know, more local issues. Yes, real uh, football. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what's the excitement level on the football pod like at the moment? Well, I was really excited and I asked Paddy Andrews at the top and Paddy was like, meh. Uh, it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a slow start. I actually, I actually thought it was a pretty decent start to the championship weekend. Maybe that's because I was caught up in the hurling as well on Sunday. Um, I think it was a shame that, again, I'm not starting. Oh, I am starting to be giving it. Did you watch any of Sligo New York live? It was class. I, I don't know if you saw any of it, like, but it was on GA Go, and it was two teams. We didn't know what to expect from New York. It was, but it was two teams at a fairly similar level, and I really think it was a, it was a good indicator that the Talchin Cup if the coverage is given to it, can actually be really good this summer um, because it was a cracking game of football. I, I, like, just brilliant. And it was just a shame London Leitrim wasn't shown because that was dramatic as hell. I know there's a two-minute highlights package up, but it just doesn't give you the the sense that I got listening to it on Ocean FM. Um, cracking game of football. And then Tyrone for Man on Saturday night, Jerry. Do you know, we saw some bits and pieces from the All-Ireland Champions that would make you think that they're in an okay place. And then there were some moments and you were just like, how on earth did Tyrone win the All-Ireland last year? So. Uh, yeah, there was definitely people in the aftermath of that All-Ireland win saying this is a bad All-Ireland, Tyrone are not a good team or not a great team. And certainly we'll see, we'll see. It's early days. I do want to, there was big news overnight because um, in your preview, uh, mm-hmm. you were making the case that uh, the players returning for Donegal allied to the suspensions that Armagh have will make Donegal the overwhelming favourites in your view and certainly James O'Donoghue's mm-hmm. view in the game against Armagh this weekend. Donegal and Armagh two Division 1 teams who both believe that they can be the next Tyrone no doubts about it internally in that camp they both believe Tyrone did it last year there's no reason why we couldn't do it we could easily maybe just about squeak through against Kerry after extra time if um, if we pull some shenanigans in the build up to it uh, that's, they must be thinking that right? And then, one hundred percent. And then overnight, the the pendulum swings rapidly back in favour of Armagh because all their players, who we thought weren't going to be able to play because of suspension, are back. Donegal didn't appeal their suspensions, so they're not getting off. The um, what is yeah. it? Joining in the melee, an extra man in. What's the what's third the man in, is it? what's the phrase that um, James O'Donoghue was obsessed with? Oh, third man in. That's what Conor McKenna got sent off for the last time, even though I think technically he was the fourth man in. But yeah, There's something, 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 something melee. What was the phrase? Well, contributing to a melee. That's it, that's it. Yeah, contributing mm. to a melee, which is the um, buzzword du jour in, yes. uh, in GA circle. So, Tommy, this is big news. The Armagh lads are all off. Massive news, Jer. And it just highlights the state of the, the disciplinary process in the GA. It's just, it's crazy. If you can get the right solicitor, if you can find the right loophole, and there are many loopholes you can get away with it. Now, Donegal did not appeal the suspensions to Neil McGee and Orm McFadden Ferry. McGee, obviously one of their most well-known defenders over the last decade, had been out injured for a lot of the league. But McFadden Ferry has been one of the most important players and Donegal are lacking defenders like him. Now, when they didn't appeal it, I was thinking, are they being cute here? Is that smart? Because one of the most obvious incidents in that row is, well, one of the two most obvious incidents is that Rian O'Neill definitely sort of throws a, a push or something. He does something with his hands. So O'Neill was one of the players side for him. Uh, but I thought Michael Murphy probably got away with a, some sort of a push or, or some sort of a contribution to the melee that was pretty obvious. It's hard to miss Michael Murphy. So I was wondering, did Donegal not appeal for fear that they might lose Murphy? Well, 
that Niall should have appealed because all the Armagh lads got off, as you said. O'Neill, we heard last week, got off. That was the big news. But Aidan Nugent has been one of their stars of the league. Um, scored 1-6 the last day against Donegal. Has been playing as a kind of corner forward, dropping deep, adding a couple of points every game. And as James made the point in the pod this week, you're struggling to see where Armagh are going to get the scores from, especially when players like Roy Grugan are, are supposedly injured. Andrew Mernon, who had a massive year last year and over the last couple of years whenever he's played, is also injured. He's a big marquee footballer. Kieran Mackin, who also got a suspension overturned, is also injured, so he's going to be missing. But Soupy Campbell, another guy you could rely on to come off the bench and kick three points, is uh, is back for Armagh. For me, that slightly swings the pendulum back in their favour. So I don't know if I'm officially allowed to change my prediction here. Not that my predictions matter. It's James and Paddy is why people listen to the pod. But um, I think I'd be changing. I don't know why. I asked James last night. He didn't tell me whether or not he the, was... The humility uh, is so admirable. Thank you, Owen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the practice. The practice. Uh, all the all the bars that it, Tommy has been propping up in GA clubs, the length and breadth of the country. Ah, it's not me. It's not me. <laughs> yeah, it's the lads. Yeah. It's, honestly. It's the lads. It's the lads, what, exactly. What sort of hit rate do you think people have with, with appealing these things? It feels that the, the only way to... The, the best way to get off and the only way to get off a ban from a GEA match is just to appeal it and there is a very very high chance of you being successful in that appeal let's let's count up the hit rate here right uh, we had Aussie Gleeson Waterford didn't appeal the two Donegal boys they didn't appeal so those three red cards stood the other red cards that I can remember over the last couple of weeks Sean Carbine from Sligo appealed he got off Keith Byrne from Leitrim appealed three times didn't get off now, what happened in that game is there wasn't enough video footage to prove it either way. That was the problem in the Division 4 game. That's the reason why they couldn't get that off, apparently. There wasn't enough video footage, and that red card had been called from an umpire the far end of the pitch, who supposedly had seen an off-the-ball strike. I couldn't find out from either Sligo lads or the Leitrim lads what happened in that game. But the reason that fell, that appeal fell, that Leitrim couldn't get their second most, the, the second highest score in the country off, was that there was no video evidence to do so. So... We had loads of cameras on the Armagh appeal. So, you know, I don't know I don't know how on earth they got him off, but they got him off. And, uh, you know, Conor McKenna, you'd be expecting Owen that he's going to get off too um, because Joe McQuinnan picked him out of that row as he was getting raked on the ground and uh, two Fermanagh boys having a go at him. So it's a pretty high rate. Mm. Uh, you guys were saying... Uh, I, I thought that, I actually think it's wrong. You're saying the referee in the field shouldn't make the decision; they should leave it to the aftermath. I, I you can't do right, that. Yeah. You, you can't. You've got to even at, even at the end of the game. Joe? Yeah, exactly. Because the referee's assessor is assessing the referee on his performance in the moment. They're not assessing his performance. Oh, you didn't give that suspension, but they were given it afterwards. You get bonus points for that. And like, what if the game goes to extra time? Right? Do you know, it, it affects it in game as well. It's not just about the suspension. What if it happens? 30 minutes into the game 50 minutes into the game there's still a significant amount of time within that game that the punishment should be the rules have to be the same in the last 5 minutes as they are in the first 5 minutes otherwise what's the point in the rules I want to put it to you this way Mm -hmm. would it have been better if the brawl the brawl back in 1996 was dealt with at the end of the game 5 minutes in I mean, well, that, no, you know, everyone's hopping off it should have sent everybody off but the the problem there was just a very very bad decision like it's a bad human decision that like I mean are, are we suddenly saying don't make the human decision because you're making a bad human decision I appreciate that it's hard but the referee still has to make a decision when something like that happens 
Mm. Like I think in ninety six, of course, it would have been better if they'd sent nobody off because what they ended up doing was was terrible. But that was a very specific incident where it was a terrible outcome. (laughs) Imagine to this day, it was like this 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 pitch battle where like a hundred people are involved and no one was sent off. (laughs) The postscript would be, and not one of them was sent off. It would have been better than. But afterwards, if you went back, if you if you went back afterwards and you you banned those boys, and if Mayo weren't so flaky. If Mayo weren't so flaky, it wouldn't have mattered that they sent off different players with different oh. talents. But that's, that's what happened. So you lose Mikhail and you're, you're flaky as a result of that, I would say. No, no, no. It's it's an inbuilt cultural thing that they have been trying to shake off before and since. They'd only lost 89 at that point. Well, uh, it wasn't fair. Like, Mayo was good 60 fair years. It's 100 years now. It wasn't many finals. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. go on, Tommy. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's all right. But like, yeah, Let's relitigate. Right. Let's re- relitigate 96. <laughs> yeah. It's I just think I just think maybe maybe when it's an incident like this now the brawls they're absolutely horrendous it's pathetic I don't know why they keep happening I hate the headlocks I was delighted that there was players sent off for headlocks the last day there shouldn't be striking going on on a football pitch you know fair enough hard hits whatever you want but the malaise are just pathetic they are pathetic so I would I would like to see them got rid of but just the McKenna red card the other day it just didn't make sense he was trying to protect his teammate who was getting a baiting you know. Yeah, and you've got to you've got to allow for that in a way. No, you, that, you in, actually you don't. You you what you all on the you were you were you were uh, accidentally encouraging the law of the jungle, which encourages the melee. It it absolutely oh. encourages the melee. Now you're right. It, correctly diagnosed. It's like not giving the ball up. And um, uh, James O'Donoghue, not an AFL fan, uh, cannot raise higher in my estimation than he already was. I thought, but there he goes. Just that little casual dig to the AFL. Not a big fan of it. Like, oh, come on, James. You, we need to say this right. It's a uh, not a not a game full of skill, um, but I think that that's right. That would fix the whole thing, and that would stop the that would mostly stop most of the brawls and the malaise, which are all of these kind of bullshit, toxic masculinity nonsense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just I do think that you have to allow for. I don't think you should run fifty yards to get involved and protect your teammate, but if your teammate no, if it's one on one, look after yourself. Man, yeah, but if it's the nearest man in, like no, kind of work, no, if it's one on one, look, let him look in. after himself. It, it was two on one. It well, wasn't well, one. Well, then, 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 then what's going to happen is the Fermanagh well. lad's going to get sent off because there's two of them. Like it's fairly obvious. You can't leave a fella get kicked and get knees in the back and get dragged. Red card, red card, game over. Move on. Come on, they they train all year to take a few a few little digs. It'd be grand. No, they'd be grand. I don't think I don't think you can allow. Well, then now McKenna's going to be out for the next game because of this because of this macho bullshit. Well, he's he not. should be. He but should be not. by the rules. Uh, he's, no, he's not. Because he, well, he didn't do anything. <laughs> he didn't do anything. McKenna, McKenna was screwed over, I, I feel, as well, to be honest, on, on Saturday. I, I like I mean. Okay. I, I know Perhaps I in this one instance. Thrones, perhaps in this one instance. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the, the games this weekend, which we haven't even talked about. Mayo <laughs> Galway. It, like, last week definitely felt like the order of we're, we're getting some uh, main courses here. Uh, Mayo Galway, mm. right? Four o'clock. We shouldn't read anything into the league final from Mayo's no, perspective. I agree. I agree. I think, Jer, and I think uh, I, I'd imagine you're of a similar thinking here. If Mayo aren't operating at 110%, if they aren't, you know, um, flying on chaos, they're not there, like. There's no point looking at them. Galway have been a bit of kryptonite for them. Not fully, but certainly uh, Galway have not been a pushover for them generally, maybe with the exception of last year in the second half. That game was in Croker, right? Yeah, it was because yeah. of the wide spaces and you could have social distancing and you could get 20,000 people in there or whatever okay, it was. Okay, okay. 
Uh, uh, Tommy, you had a really good point on the podcast yesterday. Um, I mean, like, I mean, confidence going. Uh, about 2020, I'd completely forgotten about the closeness of the match between Mayo and Galway in 2020 and how, how Galway 100% would have been in an All Ireland final. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, we can't forget that they'd been absolutely hockeyed by Mayo just a couple of weeks before that. Yeah. And they'd still yeah. come so close. Like, that, first of all, backs up your point about the league final not mattering, but also that Galway still have a core of players that might, in an ultimate universe that isn't too far away from reality, could have been in an All-Ireland final. Yeah, I I, I think we're sleeping on... Not, Galway let us down last year, Owen. I think we can all agree in the semi-final, or in the Connacht final last year in the second half. There were six points up. And it felt On a like point of information, their best player was taken out of the game illegally and Mayo didn't have the man sent off who should have been sent off first. Like, a horror should have been yeah. sent off, right? For the for the slam. Yeah, like it's a, it, it's an illegal move. Pro- probably, And the yeah. impact, the impact it, ended, it ended Goa's best player season. Like, it, it, you know, it passed yeah. off because he ended up man of the match uh, in the semi-final and gave a, a brilliant post-match speech and like, it's a, an unbelievably likeable character. But like, he did take out the best player in the opposition. And, you know... And Two, Goal, three to four points was the scoreline at that point. Goway acquiesced. Goway were like, oh yeah, that's fine. You can do that to us. That's fine. They mm-hmm. did. And they lost Rob Finnerty in that first half. Um, and they ended up bringing on a defensive wing forward. And I think it kind of changed their shape a lot as well in that game. Um, and I think Goway's depth, even though... Uh, like um, we're going to talk about it in the pod next week. There's a squad of about 26 inter-county footballers in Goway that aren't actually playing poor choice at the minute whether they've been dropped or they've stepped away for different reasons so what he's been able to develop to develop like the amount of players that he's got there and he did find a couple of gems during the league is very impressive there was a lot of footballers in Goa a lot of decent footballers a lot of good footballers and players like Shane Walsh who can turn it on Shane Walsh is not afraid of turning it on the big days as Owen mentioned in 2020 kicked 7 points of Goa was 13 he just lacked those around him standing up that day was Coleman injured that remember, day? I don't think Homer um, was no, fit in 2020. Wasn't, he wasn't fit. I think you're right. I don't think he was fully fit. He kicked a couple of points that day, but he is flying now. Right. Do you remember Owen McLaughlin's black card that day as Galway were bearing down on goal in an injury time? Very, yeah, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of talk about it as well. So I actually do think that this is going to be a very, very close game. If Mayo lose it, I wouldn't rule them out of, of competing this year again because they're always going to be there and thereabouts. Oh, no. If Galway win, if Galway win, it really solidifies himself. It could easily um, suit Mayo for whatever bullshit reason to go through a backdoor. It's, it's much harder backdoor this year, obviously, than, than previous seasons. There's yeah. none of the uh, cannon fodder in the early rounds, but at the same time, a little bit of off-Broadway sometimes and a cause and all that crap that seems to uh, stir yeah. the soul. Were you going to make one point on that? But I was just going to say all four teams in the, the big games this weekend are probably going to be quarter-finalists anyway. Mm. Probably, unless it's like a heavyweight backdoor clash. Yeah, they could easily meet each other. That, that, that's the bit you're, you're leaving yourself open to chance or hot balls, which I suppose uh, can fix that issue. Four minutes past eight this morning. Uh, Tyrone won the All Ireland because of Mayo. End of story, says Dave Cause. Danny Mack says everyone wins the All Ireland because of Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> Noel Kyle says the GA disciplinary system is a disgrace. It allows thuggery to continue. It does. It does certainly make you think. Well, there's no point. There's no fear of a red card beyond the last 15, 20 minutes when my team will have to do without me. I'm going to get this back on the on the other side. And I don't even know if that... Does anything... If you get another red card, does it double? It doesn't because it, that whole thing is expunged from your record. You're like free to go. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, even, I'm not even sure. You're like, the, the one that stood out to me always was the, the woodpecker punches from Dear McConnelly and Lee Keegan in Crow Park with 80,000 people watching. Um, cameras on it. All caught. And he gets off 18 hours before the game. I think he gets off in the third appeal. 
and he ends up playing I think in the second half or does he start the next day in the replay that's the one that always said to me it was like oh my god you can get away with anything uh, okay great GA names uh, Tommy you were talking about um, Josh Largo Ellis on the podcast yesterday just got me thinking while I was driving up from Kerry mm. what, are, what are the greatest GA names ever so just a very quick countdown of the top 8 just an arbitrary number of the, the greatest ever names that have taken to a, a GA pitch uh, in at number 8 kicking us off is Barney Rock doesn't get enough credit for his name gets credit for you know winning in All-Ireland gets credit for his son being one of the greatest free-takers of all time I do have to also point out that at the time when Barney Rock was playing one of the all-time great uh, uh, cartoons had a, a, a character called Barney Rubble and yes. he was like I mean it was world famous to the point of like Simpsons-esque fame the, and just kind of you know out there and here comes Barney Rock and Barney Rubble at the same time it's like an underappreciated underrepresented part of his ability to be the best footballer in the country for a couple of seasons while that was happening 100% 100% doesn't get enough credit for it so he's in at number 8 number 7 is uh, Hubert Darcy the Podrick Pierce's yes. and Ross Common cult hero I actually don't know if he's a cult hero but his name is Hubert Darcy so he absolutely has to be a cult hero like in that Connacht club final earlier this year when their goalkeeper got black carded Hubert went in goals it's just such a classic Hubert thing to do like I don't know him at all but just absolutely if your name is Hubert you have to be doing stuff like that West of the Shannon I'd like to call him Uber Number six is uh, Mitch Jordan, who played with the Wexford Hurlers for 13 seasons. Has Bruce Willis played a character in recent years called Mitch Jordan? I'm not not one to to suggest he hasn't. Number five is Chris Cross, uh, a star of the Toronto Hurlers (laughs) over the last little while, a stalwart of the Nicky Rackard Cup. Number four is uh, Stuart Mackenzie Smith, great name, an international man of mystery, lined out for Kildare before lining out for London. Just had to do it, had to go international with a name like that. Number three is Josh Largo Ellis. I'm putting him in here at number three, just such a great name. Doesn't need to do anything in his senior inter-county career. The goal he banged in against Toronto at the weekend, completely unnecessary. If your name is Josh Largo Ellis, your legacy is already in cement. He can win 10 All-Irelands and it's not going to change his legacy one bit. Number two is Bill Sex. Kildare's Ooh. finest captained UCD to Sigurds and Glory in 1985 and a little bit unlucky not to be in at number one to be honest but we were a mature show here so we're not going to put him in there number one the greatest GA name ever is Andrew Latouche Cosgrave just the best the member of the Limerick extended panel in 2018 and I would say it will be a failing of John Kiley's tenure if he doesn't manage to get game time into Andrew Latouche Cosgrave in an All-Ireland final at some point over the next little while they're going to win like 12 All-Irelands anyway they may as well shoehorn him in and just make this thing perfect off the bench for the last five minutes to wrap over three or four points everybody wonders oh, what's the story here exactly exactly we need, to, we, we, need, we need more of him and a fantastic underage player a very very good senior obviously if he was part of the, the extended panel a couple of years ago as well so he's got the skills as well as the name Tommy, you're the hardest working man in show business. Obviously, the uh, football pod is out generally of a Tuesday morning at 6am. But now, for your delectation of a Sunday evening, before the mm-hmm. Sunday game comes on, the agenda's already set. What's happening? GA late night is happening. Sexy. I, I was delighted that Joe Malloy <laughs> jumped in, thankfully, yes. Jerry, it does get a little bit raunchy with Dahi Regan on with me, but uh, Joe Malloy jumped in for a chat the last night. I was I was looking. The callers are very shy. It wasn't like League of Ireland late night, but I do have a clip here just to give you an example. We got five or six callers in. The quality was really high, but we're looking for a few more next Sunday night. So Galway fans, Mayo fans, Donegal Armagh, Antrim, Cavan, whatever you're having, the Hurling, Clare fans, you have a chance. Let's have a listen to Aidan Foley, uh, who jumped in towards the end of the chat last night to talk a bit of Hurling with myself and Dahi. 
Aidan Foley, you're welcome to GA Late Night. Do you want to have a word before we wrap up here tonight on the first edition of the show? How are you doing, lads? Enjoying the Evening, enjoying the show here tonight. It's very good. It's very good now. It's uh, nice to have the hurling back. I said about your favourite Walford hurler. Um, yes. I would think this year, um, a man, Patrick Hearn, I would think is going to have a huge, huge influence for uh, the Walford senior hurling team this year. I've, no, I've known the chap for years and I think he's been a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. Do you know, this man has got man in the match in minor All-Ireland Finals, 21 All-Ireland Finals, and I think he's 26 now. He's re- He looks physically ready to go. He got four points today from play from wing forward, and I think he is going to be a massive addition to what Waterford are going to do this year. Do you think you're now ready? Do you think you're ready? Could you take Limerick if you get to All-Ireland stage? Is it there? Is the depth there? Is the belief there? For the- I absolutely. I, I'm, I'm actually a Wexford man myself now, but... Uh, from from watching Hurling and, and, and knowing a bit about Waterford, you know, to list off subs of Irla Daly, Jamie Byrne, Austin Gleeson, Porig Manny, Shane Bennis, none of these fellas started today. I absolutely think Waterford are here, they're ready, and I think they're they're not too far off when they're not Ireland out of yet. GA Late Night with Tommy Rooney. What time is it at? Half eight to half nine on a Sunday night. Yeah. Now... Yeah, we're going to leave it at that. I have to say, the Cork fans were incredibly quiet last week. It was disappointing. They were bullied by Limerick. We were looking for them to come on. They're all out in their droves today with your names on YouTube. Um, oh, and they're complaining that Sathantal Halpin isn't in your best GA names. They're complaining that Christy Ring isn't in there. Great and they're complaining that Jerry and Ben O'Connor weren't in there. Where were you Sunday night, lads? Uh, well, they, they'll get an opportunity. There's a few more weeks. For their misery yes, to so. unfold. It's the Manchester United fans' misery that we're talking about um, for the rest of the hour. Tommy, you've done a good job. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. And just a reminder that for the Twitter spaces, all you got to do is join, listen in and request to speak. I didn't explain that earlier on, but that's all you have to do to chat and we can add you into the queue. Lads, thanks a million. David Moyer is up next uh, in the break. You're going to hear from James O'Donoghue talking about the one player he'd love to be heading into this weekend, the one player he would love to be heading into this weekend. You can listen to episode 13 of the Football Pod right now on podcast. It's in the OTB GAA feed. Uh, just search the Football Pod. Uh, it's brought to you in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out the hashtag, the toughest, for more. OTB AM. 14 minutes past eight. Time to turn back to the 4-0 win for Liverpool against Manchester United. I'm delighted to say David Myler is with us. Uh, David, that was pretty good from Liverpool. Uh, Try and put it in context for us. Was it their best performance of the season? Was it was it even that good? Is there room for them to get better? What did you make of it? Um, I definitely think Jurgen will look at that and think there's room for improvement. Um, now we spoke after the game how well their counter press was, how much you know. You look at the positions that they won the ball back against United, how high up it was. Um, but it's just like even you know for anyone, whether you're a Liverpool supporter, Manchester United supporter, or football supporter, it just looked easy for Liverpool. Um, like we all commend Thiago's performance. I thought he was excellent, but there was nobody kind of got near him. They kind of left him run the game. They left him get on the ball. They left him do his flicks and his tricks and kind of fizz the ball around the pitch. Um, so, it, like Jurgen will know that there's tougher tests ahead. Um, like obviously, obviously, Ragnick changed that back five. Like he spoke before the game, how they'd worked on it. They'd looked at video and all that. I get that. Um, the analysis is part of it. You're going to walk through, you know video meetings where you're going to talk back about what you've done like the first goal is a glaring thing of like their back five is completely all over the place um, like your left wing back is too high um, centre half and Maguire steps out he's in no man's land he doesn't know whether to press Mane as Mane turns he then drops off 
the other two centre halves, if you look at their positioning, neither one of them react to the run of Diaz. Uh, Dallas out of position. You've got runners coming from everywhere. It was just as much as Liverpool were very good, United were awful. Um, and there was a cliche, a bit of both. That so I think Jurgen will look at it and think that Liverpool can be better. Yeah. Can you just talk to us about Thiago? Right. If you <clears throat> if you knew that he was playing right, and you're Manchester United, and you 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 get a do over, right? There's like a weird Groundhog Day where. Uh, Cher comes on Sonny and Cher come on the clock ticks over and you're like okay I'm going to learn from yesterday I'm not going to give Thiago the freedom uh, of Anfield tonight what what could they have done differently? I think they've gone into the game thinking right we're going to we're obviously going to play this back five and the four and the one up front right and they're just going to be we're going to be solid we're going to be hard to break down you could tell from Ragnick's interviews after he wasn't very happy with the way they tried to press. You know, he spoke with the first goal how high up the team was. Now, when you're trying to counteract a midfielder like that, you either one drop right off and leave him receive the ball on the other side of the midfield, where he's almost getting his like another centre back, and you kind of say, "Well, what are you going to do with it there?" I'm quite happy for you to pass it to the full backs, but the gaps in between the back five and the midfield were just enormous that he could pin balls all the way through. So in order to counteract that, you have to drop off. Like your back five and back four have to drop off. So he's playing in front of you. Another option is you just get someone to say, look, your job is to go and mark him and get up against them and stay tight with them and don't even get on the ball. But if you looked at the legs in the midfield, you know, Manchester United's midfield yesterday, you'd probably need someone like a McTominay um, to go up against them because, you know, Pogba, I know he went off. He's not going to do that. Matic is not going to do that. Bruno's not going to do that. Um, they just didn't have the players on the pitch to be able to get anywhere near Liverpool's midfield. When Thiago does drop back, essentially as a like a, a, at the exact same position as Matip and Van Dijk, basically, is he doing that because he's actually trying to draw Manchester United out a little bit? He's trying to create that gap in front of their back three slash five. No, he's doing that. Inevitably, he's doing that to get on the ball. Um, he has the capabilities. Like there's always this old laugh and joke in, in football that you know. Defenders are are mainly defenders because they're not good enough to play in midfield because they're not good enough on the ball. No, that's not the case, more or less, with all the top teams now because you see how good defenders are with the ball. But he's going to get the ball because he wants to be the driving force to carry the ball forward to suck midfielder out. But if he's getting it in between two and a halves or up in the left-back spot, now what Liverpool do do really well is the rotation between, say, they do probably better, I think, on the right side than the left side with Trent going forward. Henderson peels out wide and Salah comes inside. They create that overload, but it's inevitably they're in the same positions, but it causes so much panic and confusion because when you when a team is going through all their tactical work, they'll be saying, the left wing back, we need you to, you know, keep an eye on Trent or whatever. But then when he's coming high up and then Salah's coming inside, you know, you could see that from the first goal that they're all over the place. Um it, it, it stunk of something that had only been worked on for two or three days and it's very difficult to take on a team like Liverpool in that way. Well, like it stunk of it because that's exactly what it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. But you look at then at half-time, of course, there's going to be a few effing and jeffing at half-time. You imagine players have going to have you know, a few things to say to another, which you'd expect. Um, I know some people might believe it. Um, I imagine there would have been players unhappy in that change room moaning yesterday. You could see that from the second half, obviously, bringing Sancho on for Phil Jones. There was a bit of urgency in them, but then Liverpool were 2-0 up. They were so comfortable. Liverpool probably created their own problems and gave United a little opportunity to kind of huff and puff in the game, but that was soon put to rest after about 15 minutes. 
Class, David, have, have you been in a, a midfield where you're literally being passed around, where you have that like one touch passing and where the Manchester United players last night literally looked dizzy and they looked fed up and they just run away from the triangle that they were in the middle of and were like, screw this at, at certain points, especially in the second half. Have you been, have you been that soldier? Have you been literally passed around and, and how do you deal with it? I think, I think every professional has been there at some stage where you're going to have those games where you're, you're going to have off days where nothing seems to go right. Um, like you just, you have to be defensively solid. Like my job as a, as a six, like I played there most of my career was you keep the ball in front of you. Um, like a great example of that is, you know, for um, the fourth goal, for Salah's second goal, um, like Harry obviously plays that ball to the young lad Hannibal um, Grand, whatever, like he's a young boy, he loses the ball. But Harry then gambles and steps out and jumps out of position. Whereas you think Harry should have said to himself, leave the ball, go to Mane. I'm not leaving any space in behind me. Leave the ball, go to him, and then I'll engage him. But instead he gambles, jumps out. Like as as any midfielder, I looked at that as you have to keep the ball in front of you. If 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 the ball's going in behind you, like you're turning around, you're running back towards your goal. You've got a lot of work to do. And that's where you know you're in trouble, especially if you're a defender, because that means someone's getting in behind the back four. Uh, I guess it's very dispiriting like when when it, when your team is being torn apart like that mm. uh, the the fans this morning are obviously the Manchester United fans are saying this is the worst ever Colin Buick was like this is the of the nine years this is the lowest of the low points and they, they're saying it's like six seven years back from this point um, I do wonder if that's actually true that if a manager who came in and knew exactly what they were doing and the plans had been in place for the whole season and they had something to fall back on, a philosophy, a style of play that they had worked on again and again and again and again and again. Surely that playing staff aren't as bad as they've appeared over the last few months slash 18 months, are they? I think they are. Um, I really do. And that's that's very damning for me to say because I never played for one of the big six clubs. I certainly never played for Manchester United. But you looked at that last night and you just, like, okay, you can you can disagree or agree with different pundits and their opinions, but there's certain things you look at them and, like, last night certainly with, you know, Roy, Graham, um, Gary and Jamie, when you when you listen to them, and I, I, you have to agree with them. Like, Manchester United are a club where players are talking about leaving. You know, like, Matic, I, I don't understand it. Um, it's not as if, you know... Like Fernandinho was one thing, but then he soon put that to bed. Or put that to bed. Sorry, on Twitter himself, kind of going, "Well, hold on, a minute. we're you know we're batting for a lot of titles here." And like you know, it's not it's not said and done. He's obviously unhappy with his game time, but it's a totally different situation because they're they're winning on all fronts. Like United, United have so many players who are out of contract, like who don't want to be there. Like Phil Jones, like great fella, but like been through an awful time the last few years. He's coming in to start, like which is you know at Anfield, which is which is difficult enough. And certainly with the form Liverpool in, look at Pogba, his contract situation, like Matic, it's another one. Like even Jesse Lingard, you think like he was on loan last year. He was fantastic. I thought he should have left Manchester United and, you know, gone permanently to West Ham because it was just a great field factor. And you even look at what West Ham are doing in the Europa League, that would have suited him better. It's just like Wan-Bissaka, he... he Dallas, I don't think they're good enough for Manchester United. You look at the, you know, the stalwarts of defenders they've had over the years. Like I, like even Ragnick, you know, I listened to him last night after the game, and he said we're six or seven years away. Now he's obviously referring Liverpool when Jurgen took over and they finished eighth in the Premier League, and 
how he obviously built that momentum and he identified what he needed. But there is just there's just so much dead wood at United. Uh, there really is. And whether or not Ten Hag is going to be announced the next couple of days, he's got to, you've got to clear all them out. You need players that are fully focused, fully committed, want to buy into the plan. And then they've got to be able to sign players who are going to be able to come in and obviously impact the team and take them back to where they, you know, where they want to be. And the hardest thing for them is nowadays the sign players, you look at the, you look at the prices of these, you know, they're, it's, it's, it's extortionate. The Glazers aren't renowned. Well, they, I suppose they are, I suppose, but for throwing money away, um, but they're gonna. It's gonna cost. It's gonna cost like three, four, five hundred million to be able to re, rebuild a kind of a Premier League winning squad. Um, now I think it's gonna take longer than six or seven years. There's not. There's nothing guaranteed about that three or four hundred million as well, given the track record is the exact opposite. They haven't been good at, at spending money. They spent money, but they've just been mm. really bad at it. Yeah, that's why. Like I kind of like. Uh, I kind of nearly needed to eat my words there saying like the, the Glazers haven't thrown money because they have United have you know forked out fortunes for players which some have done alright some have done okay some have been awful um, but look Liverpool Liverpool did it um, and that would be the example I imagine they'll be looking at that Liverpool were able to add little pieces over time um, obviously selling Coutinho bringing in that money and then signing Van Dijk and Alisson which was huge it was kind of like you know and then you look at Diaz, the, the signing in January. Um, you look at how good he's been. Yeah, not bad. Like it's incredible how quickly players are now. And and also, so they signed Kanate, and it felt like he's going to have to go straight into the team because there's injury doubts about any of the other centre backs than Van Dijk, and obviously he was coming back from his long term injury. And now, now all of them have been fit basically ever since. And the the squad depth that Liverpool have built is as good as anybody and it feels like they're going to be able to see out the next month playing at this level like Salah let, let's talk a little bit about Liverpool because we're you know, we going to um, pick over the car because Manchester United with Andy Mitten in about 10 minutes um, Salah's dip in form where he was creating chance after chance after chance for his teammates and also like hitting the arse of the goalkeeper or the thigh of the goalkeeper and it would trickle the wrong side of the post it never felt like he was actually out of form it just felt like he's been a bit unlucky yeah, and that's the standards he set for himself. You know, you kind of go into every like you go into every game where you're watching Liverpool, thinking, "Well, Salah's going to score." Like that's like his goal charts for Liverpool are off off the scale over the last probably what three seasons, where you know his return is phenomenal. Um, so any game, well, any kind of run of games where he's not scored, it kind of looks like, "Oh my God, Salah's going through this blimp." There was a case probably of about 180 minutes where he did look like he had a bit of burnout. Uh, Jurgen mentioned it probably the hangover from, from January in the African Cup of Nations, you know, obviously playing all those games, um, obviously that would have taken its toll on him. You look at him, he's probably the only one in the front three that's never really rested. Um, he seems to play every game. I know, like, obviously, York can rest him in the Champions League second leg. Um, but he's kind of the one that always seems to play out of the front three. So it, it was never a case of he wasn't getting chances. Yes, he was missing them. It was only a matter of time before he came back in. And, and you look at the intensity that the front three played it last night. Um, all scoring, all assisting one another. Like, as you said there, Liverpool squad depth is, like, it's the best Liverpool squad I remember. Yes, of course, you could add a couple of greats from the past in and, you know, dot them in and around it, but they've got five, six midfielders to choose from. They've got five forwards to choose from. There's multiple choices and half. The only area that you probably question is the fullbacks. There would be a drop-off. Um, but, 
even young Quivine looked so comfortable if he was to step in for Allison. Um it's it's you know, it's an exciting time to be a Liverpool, you know, fan and they're battling on all four fronts um to win, you know, to try and go and win a quadruple. Are you surprised at how good Mane has looked through the middle? Yeah, because it's 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 a totally different position. Obviously, when he signed for Liverpool, he played wide right. Um, then obviously Salah came, he moved over wide left. Um, playing through the middle is a lot different because you're usually the one that has to take the ball and defeat, and you've got to be able to hold it up and link the play. Um, he's always been very good, and he's had a great relationship with Andy Robertson, being able to do that. But you've only got like one defender coming up your backside, whereas when you play as a nine, you're taking an either and a half can come with you, and the six is and everybody coming back to back tackle. Um, but he's been able to deal with it. Um, like, it's just they, just, they just play with so much joy and you can see the smiles on their faces, the speed, the intensity that they, that they play at that. You know, you always encourage kids and whatever to have fun when they're playing. They look like they're having fun. They look like it's easy for them. Um, and that, was, that even goes back to the, you know, the FA Cup, uh, Tigan City. It just, they just look like they're enjoying it. Last night's their best 11, isn't it? That's what I was going to say. It feels that way. Um, look, I've, I've, I've been called biased or whatever. I would say it is. Yes. Um, Jota would be hard done by. Um, I'd give him that. Obviously, I do love Bobby Firmino, but Bobby, I think, would be the first to understand that the way these front three are playing at the moment. I suppose the big one that a lot of Liverpool fans would have would be... Um, could Jordan Henderson be replaced by a Naby Keita or someone like that? Which is the best midfield three? I certainly feel that 11 last night that played is Liverpool's best 11 at the moment. Because we were having that conversation with, with Mark Lawrence and yesterday and he was definitely of that opinion too that, that Henderson coming in would be the best midfield. Like There has obviously been a, a lot of love for that NFT midfield when you've got uh, Fabini and Thiago alongside Naby Keita. So, so what did you see differently from that midfield last night compared to the one that, that started the two Manchester, or sorry, the Benfica game and the second Manchester City game? I, I don't, you see, you have to understand what what roles are in a particular team. Like, if you look at Liverpool's midfield three that started last night, um, and if you compare them to Manchester City's midfield three or even United's midfield, um, they're different roles and responsibilities. Like, if you looked at the Man City uh, first game, um, there was a way... Like, I know I know Jordan was asked to press higher. Um, a lot of people then... Like, you can, you can obviously highlight and criticise different parts of him being on the ball or whatever when he turns over possession. I get that. I understand that. But you have to understand your role inside that, you know, 11, what is required from, from the manager. That's from one person. It's not what other people want to see happening in them at midfield. Like, what makes Henderson tick so well is he allows Trent and Salah to kind of go and attack with freedom. Now, Trent has improved enormously over the last 18 months defensively. You've seen that last night when Rashford, you know, took off how he dealt with them. Um, there was times when Sancho got back and dealt with him. But Henderson allows them to, you know, get forward. And he's always been there to kind of cover around and support. He does a lot of dirty work that nobody really recognises. Um, and that's why he is so pivotal to Jurgen's system. Because, you know, Fabinho is going to sit there in front of the centre-halves. He's going to create that three. And the other midfielders don't have that discipline. Like I'm saying, the ones obviously that played against in the um, FA Cup. They don't have the legs he has. They don't have the discipline he has. You see Naby Cave last night. He's a very good player, but he gets himself into different positions going forward. I think Jurgen has it. 
you're going to have five or six midfielders. They're all slightly different, um, but they understand their roles. And then he, that's why he, you know, tweaks and changes them for certain games. So in the first Manchester City game, Henderson was pressing a bit more, you say. Why was that? And, and how does that differ from his usual pressing game? No, but if you if you looked at the game, if you looked at the opening 45 minutes, like Liverpool couldn't get near Manchester City. Their press was all over the place. And then you looked at Man City's press and they were able to get the ball off Liverpool in, in great positions. You could see from the start of the second half that Henderson was a lot higher. He was nearly more advanced. But that was, that ignored, that ignored at least to drag the team up with you. But that's obviously something, like I don't know the in-depth conversation they'd had at halftime, but they'd have gone through things that, they obviously want to be the trigger point and you could see that from him like he kind of given everything for about 75 80 minutes that's why he comes off in those certain games is because he's he's going at 100 percent you know we you know look we could be here all day talking about united and their character and their they don't they don't work hard enough um and that's certainly not the case with your liverpools and your man cities because those players give you everything albeit city keep the ball a lot better than anyone else in the world they don't have to work as hard but certainly with Liverpool in that game in particular, I just spoke about those midfielders in Liverpool were pressing higher because they were told, because you could see it, because in the first half they sat a little bit deeper and they left the front three press. It feels like, uh, I, I had a little bit of, I don't know, just a concern that maybe there was, last night was going to be a bit of a trap game for uh, Liverpool and we talked about that on the show yesterday with Mark Lawrence and he's like, yeah, it's possible, but uh, Klopp made all the right noises and picked his best team and so I think you can see how they can catapult now forward for the rest of the year. Uh, Mark Lawrence was making the point that for Liverpool, winning the league in front of their own fans would actually be something that they would prefer. If if you had to order it in his mind, he was like, oh, we want to win the league. We want to win the league in front of our own fans. It's been such a long time. It actually feels more likely that they're going to win the Champions League than the league at this stage. But last night's performance will certainly have given Manchester City cause for... Just a little bit of doubt. Um, what do you think is most likely as an outcome in terms of trophies that Liverpool finish with at the end of the season at this point? Um, so obviously they won the League Cup. Um, I think they'll beat Chelsea in the FA Cup. Um, I think that that's the only trophy Jürgen hasn't won. Um, so I think they'll win that. I think they'll win the FA Cup. Oh, it, it's hard for me to say. Deep down, it's like my heart says Liverpool will win the Premier League. Um, but my head says City will win it. I think both teams will win all their remaining games. Um, I just think that the pressure between them, I think they'll push one another and they are pushing one another. But if you go back a few years ago, you know, Manchester City were able to hold Liverpool off You know, when they won the league title. What was it? 98 points, 97 points or something. Um, by that point, that will stand them a good stead. Um, so I think I think they'll both win all their remaining games. I hope I'm wrong. I hope City do drop points, but that's what I do feel. Um, and I think Liverpool will win the Champions League. I think City will come unstuck against Real Madrid. Um, I think City will overthink it. Or well, Pep will overthink it. Um, and they'll get something wrong. And I think Liverpool will be, you know, they'll, they'll get through Villarreal by hook or by crook. I think it'll be difficult for them, but I think they'll get the job done. Um, I think it'll be Liverpool Madrid final. They kind of owe uh, Real Madrid as well after the Carriers game. Nah, you don't. Different times, different teams. Of course, look, you still have a chunk of Liverpool's, but you know you don't have the Ronaldo, Bale, Benzema. You know that old Zidane as manager, all that. They don't have like Real Madrid. Don't have that. It's it's slightly different with Real Madrid. You know, uh, and. 
would you be happy with that? <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would. Yeah. So I think that, uh, yeah, of course. Of I think course. that I think that like if they if if they don't win the league, I understand the whole point of winning it in front of your own fans. But actually, if they were to do a second Champions League, they automatically become a great team. Like they're already a great team, right? But like, mm. if if they don't win anymore, they'll be like Armagh, who only won one All Ireland. They're considered a great team, but there's always a little bit of an asterisk where it's like yeah. if they actually were to win a second Champions League, it's automatically one of the all-time great teams. Like. Better than the Man United 99 team. Better than the uh, Manchester United, Rio and, and Rooney team. Because we won two Champions Leagues in three and a half, four years. Like, I, well, you're going into tricky waters there now. <laughs> Even as me as a Liverpool fan, like... like Didn't do two Didn't do two with the same team. Yeah, no, I get I get that. But then they both did stack three, you know, three Premier League titles in a row each. Um, you've got to give them that. Like, it, 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 it opens the waters into great debates. I'll give you that, right? Yeah. But like the the '99 team is better than the away team. Do you get a star for yeah. a league on your? Do you get a star for a league on your jersey? You don't. You only get a star on your jersey for winning the European Cup because those gold stars, lads. We have two in three seasons. <laughs> Show me your league medals, Grand. Yeah. And how many times do you win the Champions League? Oh, once. Okay. Yeah. It's like. But that is that is the big thing on Fergie's reign, isn't it? It's the kind of the as you said there the asterisks against him is he's two European Cups. You know, obviously in '99 and always. I think for 26 years and they were battling on a lot of fronts. Okay, look, they lost Barcelona in those finals, but kind of won that kind of annoys annoys United fans. They probably should have won more European Cups, certainly with the squad they had. On that note, just when we thought you couldn't kick the Man United fans when they were down, you did it. Go, man, David. Thanks for joining us this morning. Cheers, Cheers. <laughs> David Motter, uh that was an excellent performance, I think. Yeah. It's kind of like me bringing up Tyrone and the Naughties every time you're you're feeling that well, like life people, is not good. I'd like to hear the Armagh reaction to that. Team of underachievers is what uh, you've been labelled as this morning. Get your views in, please. 0879181880 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, up next, we're going to run through the sports pages in the news with Will O'Callaghan. First, Vinnie Perth spoke with Stephen Doyle last night about Thiago's majesty in the aftermath of Liverpool's thrashing of Manchester United at Anfield. We have to talk about Thiago and Andy Robertson, who kind of drove the team on different periods of the game. Thiago controlled that first half, and he played, you know, yeah. very well. Then the second half, before he went off, and then it was almost like when he went off, then Robertson took up the responsibility of driving the team into the box. Two, yeah, Robertson two players was, that stood out tonight. Yeah, Robertson was brilliant for two of the goals, and he won't get all the plaudits for 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 his performance tonight. But two of the goals were. He, he it was men against boys against him in the Langa where he, he intercepted and, and put Liverpool on the front foot as you say but Thiago's performance we all we all see the no look passes we all see the balls around the corner and that's why they brought him to the club when they play against um, really packed defences they needed somebody different than Henderson and Wijnaldum at the time or, or Fabinho just to open up doors and, and little pockets but he showed more than that tonight um, and the best compliment I can give him is um Fabinho was non-existent in the game he didn't need to play because um, Thiago was that good blocks uh, in front of the second half in that early stage he's made two sensational blocks from a defensive point of view but his passing range and um, what a nightmare he'd be to play against um, could you imagine him in the local five side he'd, he'd drive you demented uh, the way he'd bounce the ball around so <laughs> he's just a brilliant footballer uh, very much the old school street footballer yeah. and um, uh, he's added a new dimension to that Liverpool team and you've got to keep him fit he picks up a lot of niggles but he's been fit for the last little while and I think 
Um, if he, his form stays the way it is, Liverpool are on for a really exciting run. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What should be a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I mean, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Newspaper headlines, we can start with otbsports.com. Uh, I felt he got everything wrong for any part on Ralph Ranick, yet he wasn't sparing of the whip when it came to Ranick's tactical uh, uh, acumen either. It was anger earlier in the season, now it's just sadness. Roy Keane, we'll bring you that in a couple of minutes' time. Quad. Uh, Reds go top as they hit four in chase for all four. Awful. Neville hits out. Brands United, a waste of space. That's the back page of the Sun. It's got now to do with me. Fury hits back at Kinahan Fight Links. Uh, Tyson Fury really interesting interview with uh, Sky Sports where he was like I'm never going to talk to Sky Sports again after some fairly uh, straightforward questions uh, that needed to be asked and were asked repeatedly um, where Tyson Fury was like oh, this is this has nothing to do with me how Bob Arum spends his money if he was to go and spend that on gummy bears it would be nothing to do with me and actually it was your money because it was money that you were, should have got because you were fighting but it ended up going to your advisor Daniel Kinahan so uh, now seeing the blues Thomas Tuchel told Chelsea supporters to pump up the volume tonight uh, as they get the opportunity to like not give a sucker an even break we haven't even talked about Arsenal tonight tonight's the night where it all turns around for them uh, back of the net Klopp's quad squad thumps awful United and runaway win uh, giving you cup all support that it needs is Kevin McStay talking about the Talton Cup and uh, Kinahan pick doesn't make me a criminal that's um, Tyson Fury and Daniel Kennan in Dubai. Was that just in February? Just as recently as February? So, um, uh, and then Quad Squad, it's the same headline on the back of the mirror. Uh, Orchard Trio free to play. That's the big breaking GA news this weekend. A massive boost to Armagh and their possibility of uh, victory over the course of the weekend. I just can't find the front of the examiner for you there. But it's Mo Salah scoring the fourth. When When... When your luck is in, your luck is in. The ball loops up off Juan Basaka. Would it have gone in anyway? I don't know. Maybe De Gea saves it. Maybe he doesn't. But um, it's like the perfect finish. Salah was definitely trying to do that anyway, but it certainly gets helped on its way mm. to nestle on the back of the net and make it a, the right score. He, he was fuming at the end as well. He didn't get his opportunity to, to get his name to score board for, for their fifth goal at the very end. Uh, Mayo won't be caught waiting for the summer. This is Daryl Shea um, with... Uh, a good piece in the Irish Times today making the point that um, people throw all sorts of nonsense at Aidan O'Shea never mind Galway Kerry would take him in a heartbeat um, and then I thought it's almost Salah all the time in the rest of the papers as well this morning so uh, that is where we are with that I think we have Will O'Callaghan with us do we? yeah Will good morning to you how are you? good good how are you going lads? what's going on? yeah well look obviously huge fallout from Manchester United against Liverpool Last evening, Ralph Ragnick, the United boss, saying that they were embarrassed by Liverpool, admitting there's a gulf possibly even of six years between the teams with their development. And intriguing to hear him say that when you know, Ragnick could technically be staying on as football director next year. And it looks like Eric Ten Hag is going to be coming into the club. So he thought initially three windows might be enough to turn it around. But the feeling is they're perhaps further behind Liverpool than he had anticipated. Beaten 9-0 in a cumulative score across the two fixtures in the Premier League this season. United's chances of qualifying for the Champions League taking a blow with that 4-0 defeat at Anfield as well two of the goals coming from Mo Salah as the Reds went top of the Premier League Luis Diaz and Sadio Mane also on target uh, but Man City can return to the summit if they beat Brighton tonight Salah's brace also ended a run of eight games without a goal for the Egyptian forward and United legend Roy Keane who of course 
as you mentioned, quoted extensively across the newspapers this morning, said his old side lacked both heart and leaders. You just felt Liverpool could score any time they went forward. There's disarray at the club from the top, from the board. Fans have no time for the owners. They need a new manager. They need new. Pl- they need players in. They need players out. It's so sad to see United. It's not. The, it's not the club I played for. It doesn't reflect what Man United stood for when I played for. It's just. It's chalk and cheese. I. I, I don't see a Man United team out there fighting, playing with pride. Fellow former Manchester United captain Gary Neville also on the Sky Sports coverage last night. He believes United are now at the lowest ebb of his lifetime. I have no idea. I cannot explain how it's gone from what would be sort of slightly promising at the end of last season, finishing second. I know they lost in the Europa League final, which was a bad one, to the point where we are today, which is an all-time low in my 42 years of watching United. I've never seen it as bad as that. I've never seen it... You know, you made a point before. Liverpool, when we were playing, weren't that great. But I don't think they ever gave us a game like that. It was always tough. It was interesting, lads, watching the coverage last night that there was so little made of Liverpool's excellent performance for the best part. All right, they were, you know, a little bit playing within themselves probably for the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half and they were adjusting to United going back to their more regular system from the five at the back. But pretty much the entire hour and 15 minutes of the coverage last night was entirely about how terrible Manchester United were rather than Liverpool. I'm sure Liverpool are delighted to be able to sit back and watch their rivals being taken apart by the pundits and Liverpool just kind of quietly go top of the league. Yeah. It's what, it's what we want to see though, Will, isn't it? Ah, it was entertaining. I mean, like the minute they were coming off that break, you can hear Sky kind of superimpose the fans who were leaving the stadium over Roy Keane's uh, first initial comments. And like the minute that Roy Keane was saying, this is not the club I played for, you know exactly what type of entertainment you're going to get for the next hour. And then they bring Carragher and Neville up to studio to just supplement things with Sooness and Keane. And like, Gary Neville sounded a broken man. Like, he was a broken man before the game even finished. You can probably argue the toss over whether for a neutral it's exciting to have Neville and Carragher on commentary with Martin Tyler or whether it becomes a bit annoying to have two guys who are so vocally behind their teams no, doing the analysis. Would th- you be better I, off with one neutral? Maybe? No, I don't think so. I think that, like, this whole objectivity, it's, it's a sports match where you've got two excellent pundits analysing a sports match where their teams happen to be involved and we know in advance what their biases are. It's not like th- there's the pretense of all those people who are like, oh, I don't follow anybody, I follow football. You're just lying to us. You're like, there's loads of people who actually... It's, if you know where the people are coming from and they are the best at their jobs, then that's fine. And like, to be fair, something that was really entertaining last night, if it wasn't Liverpool ripping through the United defence in the first half... It was Neville in between the moments when there were missed passes by Manchester United defenders and when, you know, people were being caught out of shape. And it was pretty remarkably poor how if this was meant to look good on the training ground all week, which is what Ragnick said when he was asked about the five at the back, because like, understandably in attack, they had to make changes and it was very unfortunate for them. You know, the very tragic passing of Cristiano Ronaldo's baby, which meant that he couldn't play. So they had to switch around and Cavani's injured at the moment and then Pogba goes off injured. But defensively, he said the five at the back was working quite well. You look at a still, and I know Shane Keegan had one up on Twitter last night of United's defensive shape for the Sadio Mane pass for the first goal. Maguire is about three yards behind Lindelof. Lindelof is not in line with Aaron Wan-Bissaka or Dallow. It was almost like a, a three shape as opposed to a straight line. Like Graham, George Graham once one time used to tie ropes literally to the Arsenal back four uh, to make sure they were in exactly the right position and never stepped out of shape. United like left the worst 
offensive trap you will ever see trying to uh, play offside. It was, lucky, it was lucky they were against such uh, three turnips as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's not, All playing so badly. Having, well, most of us not having the best of times. You Man know, is, eight games with everyone. Man's right. finish for the third goal is unbelievable. Like nonchalant. No breaking of strides. Left foot, bottom, inside, side netting. You're like, wow, look at that. Like, very high level that they're playing at. Who would have thought as well, lads, we would get to a point when the three players were so key to Liverpool, the first uh, Champions League they won under Klopp and also even in the league campaign a couple of years ago that was almost set in stone that it was going to be Firmino, Salah and Mane and the three complemented each other so well. Well, last night, Luis Diaz set up one goal, Mane set up a couple and Salah got an assist too. They appear now to be the front three, but you look at how well Diogo Jota played in the first half of the season before Diaz was signed. Uh, like Jota's now fourth choice, was, and Roberto Firmino, who was seen as so key as a false nine in that system, is now going back to fifth choice. I was looking at the um, top scorer chart. Salah is five clear at the top at the moment. He's got 22 in the league. Son is second on 17. And third is Diego Jota and Cristiano Ronaldo both on, on 15 goals. So, like, you know, the uh, third most prolific striker in the Premier League is your first sub not a bad scenario that they find themselves in and he's got to get loads of game time he probably started against Everton at the weekend might start one of the games against Villarreal you wouldn't be terribly surprised about that either so um, things are all coming up Liverpool at the moment yeah, they're, they're good options to have. And the fact as well that Jota is versatile, that he can play as a number nine or he can technically play it in the wings. Luis Diaz can play from the left-hand side or he can play through the middle. And he's only got Options, options, too. options. Yeah. And right. you know, when you think the Canada signing went really well as well, Jar, like Liverpool have now strengthened the two positions which we thought were going to be very difficult to actually reinforce. Yeah, and their midfield gets better and better and better as, um, as players come back from injury and, and start getting some game time too. So, Will, good stuff. Thanks a million for that. Cheers, lads. It's uh, Willa Callahan there. It's 8.49. Andy Mitten is with us. Uh, Andy, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Um, how do you think I am? I don't know. I, I, like, are, you, are you angry? Are, so we, we were talking earlier on, the seven stages of grief is this kind of, um, you know, well-worn path. It seemed like uh, Roy Keane had moved beyond that to a new eighth phase, which we don't even know how to talk about it. He's, he's, he's uh, new territory, uncharted waters. Yeah, I, I tweeted before the game yesterday that I'd never felt less optimistic going to Anfield um, ahead of a Liverpool-United game since 1990 and a game which Liverpool won, won 4-0. United didn't actually play badly in that 4-0 defeat in September 1990. And I think what most United fans took that day was that the away end was loud. I can't even take either of those positives from... Last night, United played um, atrociously. Um, a large number of Manchester United fans left the game before before the end. It was a, a sorry, sad evening in the history of Manchester United. It wasn't entirely unexpected. Uh, the team have been as bad as Liverpool have been good. And any idea of uh, a new untried formation coming off uh, went after four or five minutes when Liverpool scored and went ahead and, and never looked back. Uh, the first 20 minutes was was awful for, for Manchester United. Uh, asking players to play in that untried formation was a big ask. It, it didn't come off. The players didn't play well. And there's a lot of disappointment around that ground last night. And again, it wasn't a surprise. Liverpool won 5-0 at Old Trafford earlier on in the season. They've got an exceptional team. They could win the league, they could win the cup, they could win two cups, they could win win three cups. So it goes from bad to worse for, for Manchester United, who will appoint a new manager imminently. 
and there will be some optimism around that because um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wasn't working. Ralph Ragnick has not worked and new signings will come in in, in the summer. But United are, are so far behind the leading teams at the moment that I think patience uh, will be required. And all this is played under a cloud of the Glazer ownership, which continues to be very unpopular among Manchester United fans. That's why you saw protests at the weekend before the, the Norwich City game. And uh, the games are played by a team with one of the highest wage bills in world football. So the players are failing. A lot of it is on them as well. Uh, and on the managers and somehow Manchester United are in a fight for top four. This, this team looks so far off the elite level at the moment. There were some mitigating factors. Uh, a lot of players were missing, be it on compassionate grounds, but because of injury. Some of them were always missing. Some of them were always missing on the pitch. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a bad night. Going back to Manchester after the game, the motorway was closed at one point and he's just thinking, can, can this get any worse? So it was, um, I remember coming back from Anfield in 1992, uh, again on a coach. Um, Liverpool had effectively stopped United winning the league and, and thinking it, it can't get worse than this. And within a year, Manchester United were, were champions again for the first time in 26 years. But that United team was ascendant, missed out on the league that year in 1992. Liverpool were in decline. It's nothing like that now. Um, United are all over the place at the moment. And to put a figure on it, Raniak went with six years at least to catch up to Liverpool. So over the course of that six-year plan, assuming it starts in August, how many of last night's players, players who played, started, who came on, would you like to see kicking off that six-year plan? Well, he's not implementing that six-year plan. That's just his estimation. Mm. Um, I don't have everything that he says and take it literally. He knows far more about football than I do. I expected him to be a lot better as a manager than he had been. I'd be very disappointed with Ralph Rangnick's interim term as Manchester United manager. But the general point that Manchester United need a lot of change is definitely true. But it's always true. Every single manager comes in and says exactly the same thing. Get rid of the deadwood, bring in the new players um, cultural reboot from the side of the club. This is a cycle which didn't start and end last night. And this is a cycle which has been happening since since 2013. But from the evidence that we're seeing, you'd think that very, very few of them have got a future at Manchester United. The reality is you, you cannot change a team um, immediately. The majority will be at Manchester United next season. But I think if you're losing three, four, five of those players this summer, or players who are in the squad, some of them are out of contract, some of them are going to, be, going to be let go, some of them have chosen not to stay, and then bringing in um, new players, signing new players, a factor of which will be if Manchester United play Champions League football next year, maybe promoting one or two, um, bring James Garner back on loan from Nottingham Forest, he's a promising young player, but I won't be expecting any miracles next season. It is, it is a, a long, slow, steady climb from here it can only be a climb though if everybody at the club is aligned behind what they're trying to achieve and there's no more random signings of big names or uh, players who are suddenly available and it also can only be achieved if the dressing room is harmonious and I'm just not sure that there's been that understanding in the past where uh, players come in on big wages that seem to upset what the equilibrium of a dressing room should be where you were getting rewarded for um, a any kind of run of form with a new contract and then the players were on such big contracts that 
the only way to get rid of them was to sell them and then nobody would sign them because they were on such big contracts and it's this vicious circle that like this isn't after timing there's Manchester United fans I know who when Alexis Sanchez was getting his big deal was like this isn't really the way that you run a football club in the long term because it means that everybody expects to be paid the same and he has to be an absolute global superstar to justify the salary but then all the young players benchmark themselves against him and so the wage inflation in the dressing room is crazy and all of a sudden you're so goalkeepers on 125 grand a week and it's like what happened here yeah and the rest um, you're absolutely uh, right Unfortunately, every single one of those signings was cheered in by the fans, including me for most of them. So the fans are falling for this hook, line and sinker. I remember when Alexis Sanchez signed for Manchester United. Fans hope that these players will give a glimpse of a a brighter future. That doesn't happen. The recruitment has been atrocious. The approach has been scattergun. Names have been coming in and you sort of wonder with the benefit of hindsight, why Bayern Munich let Bastian Schweinsteiger go? Because they knew that he wasn't as key to them as he had been. And United shouldn't be somewhere where uh, big-name players go and pick up their final big-name salary. And that, that's what's happened. And there's always two sides to this. A year ago, Edinson Cavani, who's one of those players, was playing well and scoring well. He's barely been available this season. He's, this season has been a complete flop for him. I don't think he wakes up in the morning and says, I, I want to be injured. I don't want to play football. I just don't believe that. But United are signing players um, who are getting injured. Maybe that's because they're too old. And when you can't select four or five of your better players, and there are, uh, of course, other circumstances, Mason Greenwood's uh, circumstances have been well documented as to why he can't play. It just all adds up to a very sorry season for Manchester United. You talked about unity. There isn't any unity among the fans. The fans hate each other. There isn't unity in the dressing room either. Um, you're getting briefs, leaks, counter-briefs, counter-leaks. And this is something that the new manager has got to try and get to grip with in a culture which will be alien for him. He's got an extremely difficult job. Any human would have an extremely difficult job. So while Ten Hag's um, arrival will be greeted with optimism, like every arrival is greeted with optimism, Um I don't think he alone is a, is a panacea. You've got issues with the ownership, which remain very unpopular uh, with fans. Um, the recruitment, there'll be more changes. Absolutely, there will be more changes at, at United. Um, the best case scenario is that the bar is so low at the moment, United can't get any worse. Well, they could, they could go down. That's happened before. Uh, and uh, with those very talented, technically good players... United are able to overcome a Norwich City at Old Trafford because you've got Cristiano Ronaldo who's got the ability to to do that. But the team lacks complete coherent structure, identifiable style of play. When you watch Liverpool, you see that this is Jurgen Klopp's team. You say the same about Pep Guardiola. You say the same about Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. When you watch Manchester United, you absolutely cannot say that. Um, Ralph Rangnick came in for the first hour against Crystal Palace okay this is different this is what he's trying to do and then that went by the wayside as so often the best intentions do with Manchester United uh, You said that the fans hate each other how do you yeah. mean what's the, 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 the sticking points at the moment? M- Manchester United's fan base is thousands of groups of mates who all think they're right 
and they find consensus among themselves. But the demographic is is so wide that what works for one set of mates is very, very different than what works for another set of friends. So you've got the match-going fans, and there are big divisions there. You've got the global fan base. You've got fans who are addicted to transfers. Most of them are young. Most of them are, are online, don't go to matches. You've got fans who think you have to protest. Got fans who go to the game who think, who are people who don't go to the games telling me what I should or should not be be doing. So it's a very fractured fan base and victories cover um, a lot, a lot of sins on the on behalf of the owners. And and when the team are losing and playing badly like they are now, all attention rises to the top. Online, it's completely toxic. The quickest way to a click is hatred, and that's exploited. Uh, by, by some fans in terms of uh, inflaming tensions, the anonymity online, that only adds to the toxicity online as well. And I can remember 2012-13, United drawing a game and fans being furious in a season when the team won the league. You can imagine what it's like now when the team are, are losing regularly, going up all the cup competitions at Old Trafford. So actually when you go to matches... The atmosphere's all right. The fans are still pretty supportive. In the real world, online, it, it, is, a, it is a complete mess. Um, and the fans are at each other's throat. This is the mood music uh, which greets the arrival of the, the new manager. A, a comment in from Dahio Shocknessy. He says, The importance of Michael Edwards in superbly managing transfers at Liverpool has been pivotal to their success. United transfer management has been a catastrophe. They need an equivalent to Edwards. So the people who appointed the new manager are we think heavily involved in the recruitment and he will have an influence in the recruitment. So it's not a million miles away from the Liverpool model or, or is it? What do you know about that and how will that work? I saw a line in the last couple of days that Eric Ten Hag will have the final say on who comes in and that he's this all-conquering human who will actually spearhead uh, recruitment from that respect. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had the final say. The manager at Manchester United always has the final say. But the point about recruitment is, is true. Too many of the players who come into Manchester United have failed, hasn't worked. Uh, huge amounts have been spent. Um, United, as you said earlier, end up with players who earn so, so much money that no rival clubs can afford to take them. So they end up stockpiling players who are at the top of the, the wage tree, if not the success tree, and it's very difficult to get rid of them unless you pay a huge percentage of their wages uh, to get rid of them and to move them on from, from Manchester United. The recruitment has got to be smarter rather than those ageing names, those big names, with a cynical, sceptical view, names who are going to sell, sell shirts. Uh, United should be signing players who win football matches and win trophies when the collective is big enough. And Nemanja Vidic said to me a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's too much about the individual at the moment. There's not enough about the collective, the, the great team spirit which he had when, when he played for a long time. And some of those Liverpool players, I remember when Liverpool signed Virgil van Dijk and laughing because he'd spent so much on a Southampton defender. Liverpool were right. I was wrong. And they've done that several times. They've brought players in um, who've done really, really well for Liverpool. I think you've got to look at Liverpool's model 
has been an example now for Manchester United because United are not state-funded. They don't have an oligarch putting money in or used to put money in. United uh, self-generate their own money. Yes, the club are hindered with the um, debts that have been put onto the club by the Glazers in that highly leveraged buyout. But United have still spent a lot of money on players, far more than Liverpool. But look at the success of the two teams. Klopp is clearly a big part of it. He's got a very strong identity, both in the way that his teams play football, both in his old charisma. He's got a fan base that's really brought into him as well. And United just don't. So Eric Ten Hag's got to come in. That's going to be really difficult for him. I've done a lot of research into him. I spoke to a lot of people in professional football in Holland about him. They speak really well of him as a coach. He's an exceptional coach. More issues around his communication skills. So he's going to need the charisma to lead the dressing room, but also to um, to get the fans on side and to get everything working. And it's a huge, huge ask. And you're speaking to me now, I think at the lowest point, because I think things can only get better. But actually, things can actually get worse. Well, I, I think they will get better because Ranić is obviously has and was clearly an interim manager. They said it when he arrived, despite the bit where, oh, maybe they'll offer me the job. That never really rang true. And it looks like the players knew that from the start. So you would assume that a manager will come in and put some order on things. Plus, there are, there's a group of those players who are actually out of contract. So he won't have to deal with that many disaffected players. And he'll have to give opportunity to some other players. You know, they won't resign Matic. Mata will be gone. Lingard will be gone. And a few others will go as well, automatically. And that that if they just replace those with younger players who are a little bit hungrier, who are not paid as much, then... And who do what the manager wants them to do? They'll have a style of play. They'll have a preseason that should automatically reach them to the fringes of the top four and an identity. And that's the beginning of things, right? Yeah, it is, and that's an idealised situation. And if you would have spoke to me at the end of November, the idealised situation would have been Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's failing because he's not tactically proficient. And if you bring someone in, someone like Ralph Rangnick, who's a tactician he can get a better chord out of these players. Football doesn't work like these idealised situations. Young players can come in and be completely daunted by Manchester United. We've seen that several times. Memphis Dubai came in with a fantastic CV. Didn't work out for him. Um, There's been a lot of examples of that, or players needing time to settle. Jadon Sancho has improved, but he had a really bad first half of the the season. But I I, I take your point, and, and I am an optimist, and a manager who comes in and will actually have money to spend is not being asked to reach the European Cup final on a relative shoestring like Pochettino did at Tottenham, for example. Um, the new manager will be able to sign players. The, the wage bill will remain very, very high. Old Trafford is still full every week and fans are allowed back in to fill Old Trafford. Um, so if, if a good, competent manager gets to grips with this, then United should absolutely improve. But I think it'll take time and it will need patience from a fan base which is very patient inside the ground, online less so. The, the overreaction when Manchester United don't win a game is ridiculous. But United have courted this fan base. In many ways, you reap what you sow. Well, let me let me put this to you because that's come in from a comment on, on um, watching this morning from Michael who says, United sold its soul when the Glazers took over. Year by year, its character and identity has been commodified and sold off for short-term profit. The brand manager and marketing department steers the ship. 
it's a view it's a viewpoint that's popular, but I'm not sure it's accurate. I think it's far more nuanced than that. It's just that they've had the wrong people in charge of football for too long who didn't fully understand what they were trying to do. They had they you know, when David Gill left, they never replaced his talent in the executive side and it's it's easy to trace it to the end of the Ferguson era, but equally there was nobody there who was like, well, what's best for the football that's going to generate the profit in the future? All those other departments are actually working really well. That if you just had somebody who knew what they were doing on the football side, no one would have too much of a problem with the fact that they were selling subscriptions and uh, um, you know monetizing as much as they possibly could. Yeah, you, you, many elements of the club are run well, especially compared to other clubs. And I don't just watch and cover Manchester United. I've seen Barcelona implode and sort of right themselves in quite a, a, a quick period of time. But Manchester United is a very different um, construct. You, you said the, the first point of the question was United sold their soul with the Glazers. The fans didn't sell the soul. The fans didn't want that takeover to go through. That was a highly leveraged buyout, which should never have been allowed to happen by the British government. And it was allowed to happen and it shouldn't have been allowed to have happened. And it, it's happened at other clubs in British football, not to the same degree, not to the same level of audacity that the Glazers did. And that takeover remains hugely unpopular among United fans. But your other point is true. A lot of money has been spent and been spent really badly. The fans certainly aren't um, looking for, for sponsors, but they don't have an issue with sponsorship if that means the money is going into bringing in top, top players. Um, and I think that's actually true. The, the the money which United generate commercially helps United have one of the biggest wage bills, which in theory should lead to success and, and hasn't done. Um, and the point about someone with a, a football brain, yeah, you're right. Although there's actually a lot of people there with really good football CVs working within the football side of the club but I sense that it's too bloated at times the structure is a mishmash of layers which have been added and added by various managers bringing in their own people and saying this guy's good we should employ him and that's not working either so someone with the the authority the autonomy like Michael Edwards had you know, fans would look at that and think yeah that's what we need at Manchester United there are people with decision making powers now John Mertz is a director of football. Ralph Rangnick's appointment was on him. The next appointment will be on him as well. And he'll be judged by that. If the Ten Hag comes in and is a failure, that will reflect badly on the man who gave him um, the, the job. Darren Fletcher um, interviewed the, the prospective managers as he did with the interim managers as well. And again, that's on him too. He's a very bright lad. Criticism I hear is that these are people who are effectively learning on the job and Manchester United should be bringing in best in class, more experienced people. And I, I, I take that point as well. We're looking for everything through such a negative prism at the moment because the results have been so bad and criticism is swirling around. And I understand why it is. Yeah. And it should be. I stood in that away in the Anfield last night. It was absolutely horrendous. And I expected it to be horrendous at, at Anfield last night. And to compound it all, United's two biggest rivals, City and Liverpool, winning absolutely everything. I can't even believe I'm saying this sometimes when I, when I say it. But that, that's where we are at the moment. And it's a, these are really grim times for, for United. 
Well, thanks for uh, for sharing them with us this morning, Andy. I know it's never easy, but um, it's always great to talk to you. And uh, hopefully at some point in the near future, we'll get to talk to you after some big wins for you. Thanks a million. Thank you. That's uh, Andy Mitten there. You can read his stuff in. You know, we stand on a course in The Athletic and uh, elsewhere as well. Uh, here's more from Vinnie Parth alongside Stephen Doyle after last night's game, lamenting the fact that Manchester United's players simply lacked effort against Liverpool. And just on the players, if you're Rangnick looking at their performance tonight, we did see some running for them from them. But overall, are you kind of looking at those players thinking, you're not giving me 100% here? Yeah, as a manager, you, you, you're down. Um, there should be no need for team talks and nights like Liverpool against Manchester United. As I said, it's one of the most famous games in the history of, 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 of football. Um, it was just a lack of effort. Yes, the manager set the players up wrong, has to take responsibility for that. But, you know, just Jesse Lingard, outstanding player at West Ham, came on early, got a chance, just just didn't try a leg. Mm. Rashford was completely isolated. I would have some sympathy for him, but again, he's got to do better. And Jordan Sancho came on and, you know, just his execution, a couple of crosses just weren't good enough. And then you've got to say people like Matic isn't good enough anymore. Mm. Um, so you would really fear for that team. Dallo had one of the war. He, he, he had a the proverbial mare there tonight. He was he was shocking. So um, yes, injuries haven't helped, but that, that dressing room need to have a long hard look at themselves. And um, Liverpool was so comfortable. Yeah, I think um, if you go back and look at the Liverpool team the day that they played their first game under Klopp, Mignolet, Klein, Skirtle, Sacco, Moreno, Leva, Chan, Lalana, Coutinho, Milner and Origi. Uh, obviously Origi and Milner are still there, um, but other than that, I'm fairly sure Henderson was unavailable, not fit or whatever, but... Uh, you know, it's possible that you can turn things around relatively quickly. So here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is the Wexford 1956 team with Ned Wheeler and Art Foley. Koi gig is Courtney Brosnan. At three o'clock, our retro panel is Tyrone GA's Golden Days. That's one that Owen will certainly be tuned in for, learning about how they were the best team of the decade. And then uh, OTB Gold, I tell you, your mic is down for some reason. OTB Gold at six o'clock is Colm Gooch Cooper. Uh, we're back after these with Sarah Donovan and Court GA. First, fresh from one of the most assured goalkeeping performances in an Ireland jersey in recent memory, Courtney Brosnan joined Kathleen and Karen on the Koi Gig pod with only one spot on the pitch. The main struggle for most goalies is just getting on the pitch, something Brosnan has struggled a bit uh, in recent times with. But for her, it's just about making do with what comes. OTB AM. Uh, James Carew has been in touch to say, in one way, it's sad to see how United, a once great club, have fallen so far. And in another... It's absolutely hilarious. That's definitely one of the <laughs> themes of the morning. Sarah Dunham, good morning to you. I didn't realise you were a Man United fan as well. Roy Keane, Dennis Irwin in their heyday. Of course, Court yeah. Cork woman, you yeah. know, holding on for dear life to those memories. So it's yeah. going great for you at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> Cork and United, I know. What did they say? Roy is just kind of res- resigned and I think I am now as well after Sunday. Are you? Like, is that is that the overriding sense? Is that the, this is a lost season? No, it's not that it's a lost season, but I suppose when you have Limerick men sympathising with you, you know, at, at a match I was at yesterday, that says it all. I'd say they enjoyed that, did they? But they're not even sympathising with me because of, of the hurling aspect of it, because they know Cork are good hurlers, but it's the lack of fight, the lack of organisation, the lack of structure, the, the sense that it's the same old thing that we spoke about last September when I was on that fateful morning after Cork lost to Limerick. It's, like that seems to be one of the, the big things, isn't it? Like, I mean, there's a million different things that you could kick off with here, but that sense of individuals versus the collective. I think on Cadigan in the Examiner this morning has called him a 
a bunch of individuals with no collective cohesiveness, I think, is, is the quote from his piece, which is which seems to be one of the prevailing themes. And Owen is kind of going out on the limb here because he'd been part of that structure for 10, 15 years. It's going to be very hard for him to write that. But obviously his sense of frustration is coming through. And you wonder, was that his sense when he was in the setup as well, that he wanted things to be more cohesive? Because he's obviously played in an All-Ireland winning football team and he knows what it's like for the likes of uh, the Cork footballers to galvanise themselves to win that All-Ireland in 2010. And he probably doesn't feel that with the hurlers. Mm. So what's wrong? There's three things in hurling, lads. Hurling first, physicality and organisation. Cork have the hurling. They don't have the physicality. They certainly don't have the organisation. They have a physicality. They have intense pace, right? They Obviously, uh, the Limerick team is full of big men who could all have played rugby or could all have played Gaelic football. You know, like, Grod Hegarty's a beast. There's, uh, Kyle Hayes is a beast. And, and Dermot Burns, like, you know, as six points the last day but I suppose from Dermot Burns point of view he was scoring his points from his position at half back you know the Cork lads weren't in a position to be able to do that kind of I suppose scoring the last day we're not my frustration is that the Limerick lads are able to hold their structure like I, th- I think at one stage you know the Cork lads I'd say everyone was outside the 45 why do they all want to get forward why are they all driving forward when their first job is to defend mm. Is that just like a sort of message to like manic aggression, manic passion, get forward, get on the ball and there's no kind of thought to it? it that's what we're coming back to is the structure. You're a defender first. I don't need to see Damien Cahillan bursting up the pitch. It's not his job. You know, the same with Sean O'Donoghue, the same with Niall O'Leary. It's not their job. Nor do I need to see Patrick Collins in the corner, you know, jostling with three Limerick players. That's not his job. His job is between the posts. Are they... Are they told to do that though is, that, is, is it that actually they've decided that we're going to play this running game and our halfbacks are going to swarm forward and and it's just it's not working for them so the structure is there it's the wrong structure or the structure is breaking down or there's no structure I don't think there's any structure I think everyone wants to get forward and I think it can be fixed but these lads have to accept that their first job is to defend and there's eight guys ahead of them between midfield and the inside six who are capable of scorers like Cork scored 217 the last day it's not that they can't score the other part of it is you have incredibly physical or fast players in Shane Kingston um, Jack O'Connor Robbie O'Flynn we didn't see any of them you know build up ahead of steam bar Kingston in that first 20 seconds they're not allowed to like brace out win a ball turn their man because the ball isn't coming up quick enough 6-8 passes to get the ball 20-30 yards it's too slow What's causing the confusion? Is it is it um, that the style hasn't evolved, or the style hasn't been bedded in, or because there's been enough of a brains trust around that Cork team over the last couple of years for very smart people to have said this is what we're trying to do, but you don't think that's uh, coming through at all in what you're seeing. They now they haven't stood still. Like Kieran Kingston, obviously last season brought in Pat Mulcahy. Um, he brought in Noel Furlong. These are guys who are around hurling teams for a long, long time. It's not you know it's not that they're not listening, but it just seems to be that they're f- the urgency in the players is to get forward, but they don't seem to want to be able to defend. Cahill Barrett the last day for tip, and he's running back, and he's you know he gets that interception against Mikey Kiley. That real lack of, I suppose, that real intensity that he has to to drive back to make that challenge. The Waterford hurlers. Connor Prunty standing up they're able to get players between the ball and the goal whereas the Cork lads can't seem to get themselves between the player in opposition and the goal that, and that's a really interesting kind of fall down in the system it seems that obviously Don Logue took to pieces really at half time in the game on Sunday so 
how do you have a management team that, as Jarrah says, is very smart and has been working on this for the last couple of years, and that defensive system just doesn't seem to exist at a really, really important point? Is that, is that just pure pressure getting to them, or is, is that maybe even lack of preparation? I, I can't say it's lack of preparation. I, yeah. I can't say it's, it's want. You know, these lads are the ultimate professionals in terms of the skill set that they have as hurlers. But organisationally, I don't know how much they want to be able to get back. Like, there's some really hard calls that have to be made when you're an inside backline and and a goalkeeper. The, the amount of energy that it takes to draw your teammates back to stand alongside you. The court teams of old never, you know, there was always three at the back. There was always Sean O, Kern, Gardner. There was a vivid back six. We haven't seen that with Cork with the last five, six years. You mentioned there that it's obviously very interesting to see what Owen Callaghan has to say given he's so close to the team. What's interesting is that in that column as well this morning he mentions that Cork forwards had three tackles in the All-Ireland final last year and he mentions token efforts when it comes to running hard for possession and he thinks that that's a theme that we saw last Sunday in Parky Cueve as well. There might be a little bit of a, a full-back union going on there but if you want to read into that a little bit more I mean does that maybe point towards a little bit of kind of leftover angst regarding the efforts that his forwards are going through last season and, and maybe that's a prevailing theme where up front, as you say, the, the, they see the, the, the jobs of the backs to get forward but maybe the forwards also see their job as scoring and, and not really tracking back that much. Yeah, and as a forward, a former forward, I, I'm going to go with the forwards here on this one. Your first job is to score and your second job is to defend. Now Ray Boyne will kill me because he'll say your first job is to, to work hard mm. and, the, and your second job is to score but... I think the forwards aren't being allowed to to score first of all because ultimately the ball isn't coming in fast enough so they spend all of their time having to to work to to kind of win the ball back it should be a kind of 60-40 ball in favour of the forward all the time and the Cork midfields and halfbacks aren't giving the Cork forwards the advantage so they spend their all of their time on the back foot they look lazy And do you think that the Limerick forwards would see their job as scoring first and defending second for example? I think the Limerick forwards are expecting a 60-40 ball first of all right. and that's the, and that's their first that's their you know that's that's the advantage that they have over over the Cork lads at this stage the Limerick lads make it look very easy because they kind of get to do a happy mix of both they get some incredible ball the distribution is outstanding and then they can work off of that they feed off each other they're they're confidence players but also their teammates are incredibly confident and I just really enjoy watching the way they work together but like Aaron Galan was doing a pile of work on his own last year but the, the ball that he was getting the space that was being provided to him was incredible It does look like everything that they're doing is designed where the work that Cork are doing whatever it is isn't bearing fruit on the field of play and that must be the most frustrating thing for the players for the management as well so what would make it not be a lost season at this point? It's only one game like I suppose Tipperary and Waterford the last day, you know, four point win for Waterford. Everyone was buoyed by how good Tipperary were because they were expecting so little. Yeah. From Cork's point of view, they're constantly going into games expecting or or maybe it's our fault for expecting so much. Um, should they take the pressure off? Should they accept where they are are? Should they accept that, you know, the structure in there they have to build it? Are we putting too much pressure on Cork? Well, I don't know because like the the throughput of talent that is coming that we you know we keep hearing hearing about the red storm rising um like it's our fault <laughs> well they do appear to have a bunch of really good hurlers like I don't know if if uh, John Kiley and Paul Canark were in charge of Cork what would the result be at the moment if 
um, Liam Cahill was in charge, what would the result be at the moment? Uh, or do the players need to take more responsibility? Like, if, if Callaghan is saying this stuff now, was he saying that stuff? Did he feel free to say that stuff? Are they encouraged to be themselves? I don't know. Like, because we had Patrick Horgan on the show last week, uh, the week before, and he was like, actually, you know, we weren't overly concerned with the league final because we knew we'd done loads of stuff and we made loads of progress. Um, and we'd learned from our experience in the All Ireland final and we had built on it. But it didn't look that way at the weekend. Now, it's a bit closer in the All Ireland final, it was more of a game, still a game at half time. Maybe that's progress. Maybe maybe Limerick are going to do this to everybody and at the end of the season we'll go, actually, you know what, that was okay at that point because Limerick did this. But at the moment, Clare are licking their chops thinking, well, we don't have to go to Park Cleave. This, this is perfect for us. Tipperary are going to be looking at Cork going, we need a win. Big big red circle around that. Like, there's a possibility they don't make it out. And there's every possibility that they don't make it out because every other team has used the league to find a structure. Now, I was looking at the Clare League setup. They're probably the most, I suppose, unstructured in terms of of, of, of us starting fifteen. I'm very impressed with Tipperary the last day. You know, a quality a quality full back line really took it to Waterford, who are, who are essentially the best team in the league. And Tipperary were able to stitch together a performance that allowed their fans to kind of take a, a breath of relief. You know, heading heading out of the stadium, saying, "God, we could have a summer here yet." Yeah. I I think that. Clare could be a banana skin for Cork but the Clare-Cork game if you'll remember it in Parky Keeve in the league it was miserable because there wasn't that close contact that we saw in the Tip and Waterford game there wasn't that physicality they were zonally marking there, there was massive amounts of space I think it was 130 to 121 or something stupid scoring Yeah, you know we, we, we don't want to see that in games and Cork have to get away from the fact that they shouldn't be looking to hit 130 in a match they should be looking to kind of to really tighten up their their defending so that they can win games two seventeen to two ten or much better games, and, and they'll expend a lot less energy if you score one thirty, but you concede one twenty one. The energy output is too much, mm. and like that definitely seems to be something that maybe Waterford have taken up this year as well, where it's like if we've got any chance of winning this All Ireland, we just got to score a heap of goals. Like that's a very obvious point to make about how Limerick are going to be beaten this year. But you mentioned the physicality, and clearly the pace of Cork didn't work, didn't harm them too much the weekend. Is there anything that you can see from this Limerick t- team, or anything that might be their kryptonite a little bit this year? Do I think they can be stopped? Yeah, or what is the most likely way that they can be stopped? I like to be able to kind of draft in Mike Casey and then and then parachute Kyle Hayes in, into full forward. Uh, it's, it's it's like. It's ridiculous. No, no other team, I don't think, can can change their half back and, and make him a full forward and make him as effective. You know, should we look at then Tim O'Mahony being parachuted into full forward because he's the same type of physicality and he's you know the same kind of pace? But then who do we put wing back? Like uh, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Well, you get the sense too that Limerick have tried this. Yeah, I, there's been a training period where they've done this again and again and again, and they know exactly. And everybody's pre-programmed to go. Okay, when this happens, we're going to do this with Cork. I'm not sure if they've been working on that or if it would be an immediate reaction. Sometimes those reactions work, like in sport, you know, and that's not to say you shouldn't do it, but it would it would feel a little bit like going five at the back against Liverpool last night all of a sudden because we did a few videos in training this week and suddenly it's like, oh, that didn't work. Look, uh, I suppose from from Cork's point of view, I I think fundamentally for the next two games, they have to get a back six. And if your back six is heading out past the 45, then you have issues. Mm. And you like, you know, the, the management have to explain to these guys, I don't want to see you go past the 45. That's not your job. Because ultimately you want the guys like Robbie O'Flynn, you want Jack O'Connor, you want Daryl Fitzgibbon to have space. And 
if there's six guys running with them up the field, then they're taking three, four forwards from, from the opposition with them and all of a sudden you've 20 lads in, in the middle eight. There's no space for these guys with pace to run forward. So it's no harm for the six defenders to stay back. We don't need them all up in the top of the field. You know, they're it's, just getting it's in the way. Yeah, they're getting in the way, lads. Spoken like a true forward. <laughs> um, uh, Sarah, we had intended on talking about the quality of the Camogie season and the general excitement around after in the aftermath of um, the Cork Galway final, but that's all been overshadowed by the horrific events at the weekend where Kate Moran unfortunately passed away um, after an incident in the game. Full details haven't quite emerged yet, but it's um, it's so shocking. Here's a, an All Ireland winner as a, as a kid and played in All Ireland finals and was just making her way in the sport. Uh, it's just a horrific, horrific incident. I can't make sense of it. Like you know, we we had a match last night, a league match in Port Marnock, and uh, we had a minute silence for Kate. But to to imagine, you know, a group of players get onto the field on Monday night, and one of them doesn't come back into the dressing room. It I, even as a group of, of of girls last night, it was hard for us to to comprehend that that could happen. And it's such an innocuous thing, you know. Uh, it, it's a challenge on the pitch that. It, it appears that it was it was literally you know a collision on the pitch an accidental collision and and she's lost consciousness and and she and she didn't regain consciousness you know and I uh, I, I think it's going to be a real struggle for for those players in Galway to to find sense to go back onto the pitch after that and that's that's my worry as well yeah and it does seem churlish to, to do a, a, a championship preview um, in the aftermath of that so we, we will talk about the championship season again at an appropriate time but we'd obviously like to send our condolences to the, the Moran family and everybody involved like it's a horrific story and you know massively concerning as well so we just hopefully um people find out exactly what happened and, and just trying to get to the bottom of it and you know as I said we send our condolences to everybody so Tara thanks very much for joining us in studio this morning it's uh, 9.32 here we're going to leave you with the latest episode of the Koi Gig Pod where Kathleen McNamee Karen Duggan and Emma Carroll were joined by a star of last week's brilliant result away to Sweden Ireland goalkeeper Courtney Brosnan you can catch all the latest OTB video across our social channels right now hit follow on all of our pages and be sure to download the OTB Sports app from your app store to catch the very latest sports content goodness we'll see you back here tomorrow OTB With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.